This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Zero. It's good? Yeah. All right. Thank you. I uh, would like to welcome everybody. First of all, I would like to thank the Chabad of Rigo Park and as well as the brothers uh, from Achdut that uh, invited me over here. And as well as Chacham Gabriel over here for, for arranging part of it. Tzadik, Tzadik Chacham over here for arranging it. So I want to appreciate it. Thank you all for inviting me over here. And Bezat Hashem, we will gain a lot, a lot of spirituality tonight and hopefully get, get just a little bit closer to God and uh, with, with, uh, with the Siyat Hashemayah of so tonight's topic is evil eye. Now, evil eye is, is a very interesting topic because, you know, I've spoken about this many times. Uh, people find it fascinating. But uh, there are many people that I would see it and be like, ah, nonsense. There's no such thing as evil eye. And then uh, somebody else will be like, no, you know, there is such a thing as evil eye. And you can see by, you know, their red strings they are wrapped around. They have hamsas everywhere. They have high necklaces. You know, everything that's around them is red. Everything they say is ben You know, they're, they're like all obsessed with evil eye. So the question is, what is it? Is it real? Is it legit? Or is it not? So we'll try to tackle it in a very systematic fashion that when you get out of here tonight, you'll have a very, very clear understanding on evil eye. Number one is we have to figure out, is it real? Is it true? We have to look at it. The only place that we can look at that is the Torah. Science, everything else is all nonsense. The main place to know if something is legit or not is the Torah. So we're going to have to look in Torah. Is there such a thing as evil eye? Then, if we establish there is a thing of evil eye, then how do we protect ourselves from it? If it is it, now, before even we figure out how to protect ourselves, we have to make, how does it make any sense? We also have to figure out, we have to also explain that. Once we explain that, we have to explain how to protect it, and then we're going to also explain what doesn't protect it, all the nonsense that people think that it protects it, but it really doesn't protect it. And then finally, we'll also, uh, would like to speak about very important topics, which is superstition, which is unfortunately so common in today's day and age, especially amongst the, the Russian population. Superstition is goes crazy. So, so hopefully, Bizarre Hashem will speak about a few things over there and hopefully clarify some of the nonsense, some things that you should be worried about, some things that you should not be worried about. So, to begin, let us start with, is there such a thing as an evil eye? So the answer is one big fat yes. The Torah speaks about it numerous, numerous times, and I'm actually going to give you sources. Uh, one time I gave, a, I gave a speech somewhere, and uh, I don't know if it was this topic or another topic, and one guy uh, got up there and he says, doesn't make any sense, not true, it's not possible. Like in middle of the class, it was a full class, and he gets somebody and he starts screaming. I'm like, oh, alright. So I'm like, oh, well, I can give you proof. I'll give you the source of the Torah. You know, and I started going for one source after another. This guy was screaming at me. I don't want to, the whole story is a long story, but he was screaming at me for maybe five, ten minutes that there were people who were like, okay, you know, just, you know, dude, just get out of here. What are you doing? And, you know, whatever. I said, no, 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 let him stay. He ended up staying, and we ended up going through each and every source of the topic that I was speaking about. And at the end, he gave me such a big hug, I remember. He was so fired up against me. And then at the end, he gave me such a big hug. Because the idea is, is that people get so angry, so upset and when they believe in something, when they don't even know the, the real truth about it, and they don't know the real source of it. So let's look at the Torah. The Torah says, the first person that we have an evil eye in the Torah. Anybody give, you know, want to guess? Haran. Haran? Close. Clo- in that same area. Sarah. Sarah Imenu gave an evil eye on Hagar. It says, and I'm going to give you the sources in Bereshit. In Genesis, chapter 16, verse 5, it says that, uh, over there, the, you know, the Mephashim explained on that pasuk, that it says that, uh, um, Yish, uh, that Hagar was pregnant. Was, and the obvious question is, what do you mean that you tell me? It says that she conceived. And the obvious question is, what do you mean she conceived? You already told me, like, previously, that she was conceived. She was withholding a child. She was pregnant already. Why are you telling me again? And the answer is because Sarai Menu, she gave an evil eye on Hagar. And because of the evil eye, she miscarried. And because she miscarried, she, had to, she went and she conceived the second child. And then it goes in, it goes, uh, shortly afterwards, there's another time that Sarah gave an evil eye, and she gave an evil eye on Hagar when it says in uh, Bereshit also, chapter 21, verse 14, that it speaks about, and it says that, that when Sarah, when Sarah was uh, driving Hagar and Ishmael out of their house, 
it says that Ishmael was was basically thrown over the shoulder of Hagar. And they explain, and the, the Rashi explains, it says, you know why he had to throw him over the shoulder? Because he had fever and he was sick. Why was he sick and he had fever? Because Sarah put an evil eye on him. So here we see that over here, there's a first source already from the Torah, is you have an evil eye from the from right away from, from Bereshit. You have also, besides that, you have also Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov, when there was a... When there was a um, there was a famine in the land, so he sent his tents, he sent his sons to go to Egypt and get some food. But he told them, don't go in from all the same mansions. Because, you know, Yaakov's sons, they were, you know, they were, they were like, you know, good-looking, strong men that were just walking into Egypt. If they would have walked in so much, it would have put an evil eye on them. He says, no, no, no. He says, I don't want to put you in, I don't want anybody to put an evil eye on you. Walk in from different entrances so you don't look like you're coming in as a one big posse, one big group, you know, this, this macho group that's going on. And Rashi says over there, Rashi says over there, if you want to look it up, it's in Bereshit chapter 42, verse 5. It says in Rashi over there, it says, Kadesh Allah Yishlot Bahem Aynara. Yaakov did not want that his children should get an evil eye, and that's why he told them to go and, and go in from a different, uh, to different entrance. All different entrances. There's a Gemara also, in Baba Mitziah, page 107b, that's, that says that there was a sage Rav, that he tried to figure out, he, there, was a, there was a lot of people that was buried in the cemetery, which hopefully, you know, that's where they should be, and they were going to go, and they're going to try to figure out how many people died of, out of evil eye, versus how many people did died out of natural death. And he did, you know, there's different explanations of what he did. He basically found out, there's an explanation that, you know, he, he, he spoke to them in some, in some sort of way, and then another, there's another explanation that he spoke to them through a dream, and there's another way that he found out through planting certain trees. But at the end of the day, he found out how many died with an evil eye, and how many, um, how many died a natural death. And the number is astounding. It's 99 out of 100 die out of evil eye. One dies from a natural death. And this is like, this is, this is like, you just put like evil eye from here to like, all the way up there. It's like, this is crazy, right? This means, first of all, let's pause here for a second, that not only that there is such a thing as evil eye, but evil eye is real and it's dangerous. So now we have to figure out what we can do to actually protect it. But before we even go to that, I want to give you a few more uh, proofs from it. There is a... Um, there is a pasuk in, we know when we got the first luchot, right? It says when we got the first luchot in Exodus chapter 20 verse 15, it says, The whole world knew that God was giving the Torah. The whole world knew. In fact, they asked Bilam, they asked the, you know, the, the biggest sorcerer of the time, they asked him, they saw, they hold, they, all the non-Jews heard all this thunder and lightning and said, what's going on? And they said, oh, the God of the Jews is giving the Torah. So everybody knew about it. It was given with a big, big shebang. And what happened to it? It broke. When the first luchot broke, right? We sinned and it broke. The second luchot, it says in the, in, in the Shemot, it says in Exodus chapter 34 verse 3, And then it goes on, it says, And it says over there that it was, it was given very, very privately, very secretly. The second, the luchot was given very, very, in a, in sort of a, a not show, sort of a showing way. And that's what the luchot that actually lasted and survived. Now, Okay, so now that we have some sources from the Torah that the, the evil eye does exist and it is legitimate, and now we have to focus on, you know, how do we, how does it even work? That's the next step. The next step is how does it work? How can you tell me? And if you think about it, it makes absolutely no sense. If you think about it from from a from a third person perspective, you have a guy over here who's driving a nice car, whatever it is that you know he's driving, you know, his Lamborghini, and somebody else is going to go, and he's going to put an evil eye on this Lamborghini, and because of that, it's going to get into accident. Guys, says, well, you know. God bless me, I got a Lamborghini. Why is this guy, why does it, why, how can it affect me something that, you know, if this guy is jealous, or this guy is in effect, why should it affect me? You understand the question? Which means is that if you think about it, it makes no sense. This is my life, live, I live my life, you live your life. Well, forget about why, why, why is your eye going to affect me? And we also have to understand is how is it possible that just an eye could be, could damage somebody. So now, 
It says, uh, Rav Dessler explains, Rav Leo Dessler explains, it says that, it says if God blessed you with, you know, with blessings, regardless of the, of the blessing is, it could be a family, it could be money, it could be, you know, it could be a good job, a good ability to speak, whatever it is, if God blessed you with that ability, and you go and you flaunt it into other people, and you go and you show it off, so the other person is getting harmed, it's getting hurt, he, he feels, he feels bad, he feels, okay, my life is not like that, and it, and it bothers him, and it hurts him, he says, you cause pain to somebody else, and if you cause pain to somebody else, that doesn't go un- unanswered, he says, if you go and you flaunt your blessing into somebody else, then yes, that per- you hurt that other person, and in return, that person will can go and give you an evil eye, so he explains that's how, uh, that's how it works, now, now, the way that it works, that's how it works in this world. Now, let's go into like the, a little bit of the spiritual world. The, the way that it works is, is that um, everybody has an angel up in heaven. You each have an angel, a sort of uh, commander-in-chief going on over there, and is, you know, is able to you know, help you and try to get stuff for you and you know, different sor- sorts of uh, things. So, there is, you're, you're sitting and you're driving your car, and then you see this, like, you know, this nice, nice Lamborghini, and you're like, you know, like, wow, that's, you know, how come that guy has it and I don't have it? So what happens is, like, you freeze the scenario in this world, you go into the next world. Your angel goes over to God, and he calls over the other guy's angel. And they say, listen, he says, my guy's right, my guy's a good guy. My guy down here is a good guy. How come my guy doesn't have a Lamborghini and this guy does have a Lamborghini? So once they bring up a complaint, they say, okay, let's look at it. We got to order the books. And they start opening up the books and say, okay, let's see. This guy with Lamborghini, let's open up, does he deserve it? And they open it up and they say, okay, maybe he doesn't deserve it. Let's give him a little fender bender. Let's give him something else. And that's how the way the evil eye works in the, in the, in the next world, in the way of the, of the, in the, in the angel uh, realm. Now, now we have to understand something. That if evil eye is so important and so powerful, then why don't we, you know, we, we pray on Rosh Hashanah, we pray for so many things. Let us pray for one thing. Save me from an evil eye. Just it. Save me from an evil eye. How does the evil eye work? It's also, we also have to go a little bit further. If we, we know on Rosh Hashanah, right? The high holidays, God, everything that's going to happen to you for this year was decreed. Everything that you, how much money you're supposed to make, you're supposed to get married, you're supposed to have any children, you're supposed to get, who knows, uh, uh, unhealth, uh, uh, yeah, whatever issues that you're supposed to get, is decreed already. Now the question is, is that if it's decreed already, how could somebody else go and affect you with an evil eye? It doesn't make any sense. I have already, I'm sealed. The book was sealed already. How could you affect me if I, if I already, if I already, you know, if I'm already sealed? So the answer is the Chazonish answers it, answers it beautifully, very, with such clarity. He explains like this. He explains that if somebody was decreed in heaven that this guy is supposed to live out this year, like it's stamped, this guy is going to live out this year, evil eye from today till tomorrow is not going to kill him. Right? Where the Chazanish speaks specifically about evil eye in, refers, in reference to death, uh, how, it, uh, how it could kill somebody. So if somebody was decreed that this year, this guy is going to live out through the year, the guy you know, could focus on evil eye from today till tomorrow and nothing's doing. However, he Chazanish explains that if somebody was supposed to die, and it didn't say how he was supposed to die. It just said he was supposed to die. So in that aspect, evil eye can go and kill that person and that, if that person so gets an evil eye. So that's how the Chazanish explains it. If I would have stopped right there, it would have been nice. It would have been, okay, it's not so scary. But the Chazanish goes on. And he goes on to explain, he says, but, however, there's a certain people that you don't have a, you know, like, there's some people that says, guaranteed you're not going to, you're going to live out the year. The other people guarantee you're going to die that year. And then there's an, a third aspect, which people are not really familiar with. It's the sort of like, let's wait and see. Let's sort of wing it. You know, let's see how good he does. And it's, it, the book is like opened. And, you know, it's sort of like, you know, if somebody puts an evil on you, that person could die. If someone drives recklessly, that person could die before it's time. So it's sort of like an open book situation. Says the Chazunish, somebody who is in an open book situation, something like that, where it's all based on, on the, nothing is written in stone about if he's supposed to live or he's supposed to die, this person can die from an evil eye. And then the Chazunish explains, and he says, but we don't know, does anybody here know that you're guaranteed to live the next year? We don't know that. 
And since we don't know if we have that guarantee to live out the next year, hence we have the, we have to be careful and we have to worry about the problem of the evil eye. Good so far? Okay. So the Peliot says something also, something very important. He explains, he says, you know, like there are certain people that, um, you know, people like to protect themselves from evil eye. People do the craziest things. There are people, I've never seen a source for this, but I once walked into someone's car, he leased a new car, um, and I think it was a, it was a very fancy car, and I see dollars tied on to like everywhere, and I'm like, what's up with the money, you know, the people are gonna break in? He's like, no, no, no. It's like, this is gonna protect people from breaking in. I'm like, listen, I don't know about you, but it, you know, I'm looking to break into a car, I see money hanging from everywhere, that's the car that I'm gonna break in, but they're going, they're tying dollars everywhere. I, I, I don't know the source for this. And if anybody knows the source, please, please let me know. It's a Greek? I, 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 I always found it very. I always found it very interesting. So, so it's it's funny because they take they take you know the dollar bills or whatever they take ten dollar bills and they go and they tie it on the on the thing. And you know, I remember you know growing up, you know, when, when there wasn't any the smartphones didn't have the GPS. You had GPS systems. You had to make sure that you didn't even see a round circle in the dashboard because then somebody saw a round circle, they'll break into your car and, and look for the GPS. So, so you know, putting dollars, putting money just out in plain sight. I don't know how that helps. But in any case, people do like really really crazy things. Now, says the Peliots, you have to be careful. Let's say someone comes over to you. And he says, uh, he says, oh, you know, you know, what a beautiful family you have. And then you're, let's say you're a particular person that's very, very nervous about evil eye. So you're going nonstop. You're like, huh, you do, you know, salt, salt, salt. You know, you have this whole routine, right? They, then it's like OCD. And then they knock three times over here. And you do all these crazy things. The guy's like, yo, buddy, I'm, I'm your friend. He's like, I'm not trying to put an evil eye on you. I'm, I'm, your bu- I'm your friend. And you insult him by doing all these crazy tactics that you're trying to avert the evil eye. So, he says you have to be very careful. Someone's trying to give you a, a compliment. You have to be careful. Don't throw you it in your face. No, 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 no. That's just, just common, you know, like, like you know, niceness. Yeah, you're offending him. It's not worth it. It's not all your... All the, besides, most of the stuff that I just spoke about, we'll speak about, is all, is all fake stuff. But um, we'll get to that. So, he says that... Uh, says the Peliot, and he also brings it off the Zohar. And he says that, you know, people have to be careful. Because if you go... He's, he explains... Listen, listen to the Zohar. The Zohar says like this. The Zohar in Parshish Balak says that if you want to give someone an evil eye, here's a trick. If you want to give someone an evil eye, just give him, just praise him without a blessing. Just give him a praise. Says the, says the, um, the Peliot, says if you, if you go and you just praise somebody, right away, you have to go give him a blessing. Because otherwise, that's going to counteract the praise that it doesn't give him an evil eye. And this, we see that from, we see from this also in, uh, that Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu went and he complimented the Jews. And right after that, and right after the compliment, the praise, he gave them a blessing right away. We see over here in Dvarim, chapter 1, verse 10, it says, Literally, he's saying that God multiplied you. You guys are amazing. You're so many of you. But then, right, then everyone's going to be like, Oh, Moshe, what are you doing? You're putting an evil eye on us? Right away, right after that, he started, He goes and gives them a blessing right afterwards. Because if you praise somebody, right away, good, it's very good to give them a blessing. So if somebody goes and you want to say, Oh, like, oh buddy, you know, like, uh, nice wheels, nice car. Always give him a blessing right afterwards. Oh, and you should have only, only good things to drive for. Uh, and God should keep on blessing. Whatever it is, any blessing that you have, just give him a blessing right afterwards because that protects it from the evil eye. Now, there is also, um, there's also halachic ramifications regarding evil eye. You know that, that there's a Gemara in Bava, in Bava Batra, in page 2b, that it's forbidden for somebody to stand and look into a neighbor's field while it's all sown, because it could be putting an evil eye in that person. And, and this is something that I've noticed also. You ever realize this? Um, somebody's door is open. What happens if you're walking by the street and there's a door open right over here, right? It's like, you know, people are like, you know, it's checking out the house as they're walking by, you know, and some of them even like walk by again. They're like, oh, nice, yeah, very nice. Like, who gave you permission? What's going on over here? This is this guy's house. He's just taking out the trash. Meanwhile, everyone's just like, you know, like, 
What's it got over there? Is that marble? Yeah, that's nice. You know, why are people going and it's, why that could, that's very possible to put an evil eye? Why are you sticking your eye in places that doesn't belong to you? And a lot of you know, a lot of people, you know, um, you know, some people invite them over to the houses. They start taking their own tour. They'll be like, oh, you know, that's very nice. You know, walk up the stairs, beautiful, beautiful. You know, it's very nice. They'll be like, who asked you? He's like, you want a tour? You have to ask for it. People go and invite themselves to certain things. And my, some people are very private. They don't want people ever going everywhere. And this is especially true, says the Gemara, when the fruits are very, you know, nice and ripe. So it's beautiful. You ever go apple picking or like, a, you know, whatever, a corn picking. When it's all full, it'd be like, oh, you get so much stuff over there. So you look at it and you could actually put an evil eye in it. So the Gemara, you're not allowed to do that. There was actually an interesting question. It's an interesting question that came over to Abmeel Eliyahu. They asked him like this. They said there was a, um, there was a, there was a two friends that were getting married. Not to, whatever. There's two guy friends and they were, it was like a, it was like a very friendly couple situation. Uh, not healthy in its own way, but, but they were a friendly couple and they didn't have any money. And the family lived very far away and they were, they needed to make a wedding. Their question to the rabbi was, can we make a double wedding? Save money, it saves on the photographer, you do it, you know, everything is double, it makes them, make a double wedding, two chupa, two dances, and you know, they didn't mind it, the chatan didn't mind it, the kalad didn't mind it, from both sides, so they came and they asked the rabbi, can we do it, can we do a double wedding, save us some money, and the rabbi thought about it, and he says no, and the reason why he said no, is because of evil eye, he says, what's going to happen, you have people that are single, they're 30, 40, 50 years old, they're single, they're going to come to the wedding, and be like, look at this, two people, Two, two couples, two katunas and one. I can't even find, you know, one thing. It's going to cause, cause a person more harm and more, you know, more disturbance inside. Says, says, you know, says the rabbi, says better not to. And, and hence they did not, uh, they did not actually uh, go with that. There's also halakha that in Shulchan Aruch, this is actually Shulchan Aruch, you know, there is an interesting, there's an interesting thing that, that it says that, you know, don't, don't, don't worry about it. There's people that say that, you know what, don't worry about a, a, an ainaha and it won't bother you. There are many people that, that hold of that, uh, of that concept. Now, there's a, there's a very interesting halakha in Shulchan Aruch that, that says that, let's say, two brothers, this is an interesting halakha, two brothers are not allowed to go to the, to the Torah one after another. So, for example, you're learning the Torah, there's Kriyat Torah, two brothers can't go one after another because of evil eye. Because of evil eye, and it says even if they don't care about evil eye, even if it says, ah, come on, I don't, I don't care about that nonsense. They're still not allowed to do one after another, also a father and a son, there's different halakhot over there. But it's, you know, you're not allowed to go, and you're not allowed to go because of an evil eye, regardless of even if they care about it or not. Now, that we have, um, now that we have a little bit of understanding of, of, of how the evil eye works, now we have to figure out how to protect it. And Bezal Hashem at the end, any questions that you guys want to ask, we'll go through all the, all the questions. And if you have something that you don't understand, please stop me at any point in time. So, there is, um, we're going to speak about, I'm going to speak about first the real stuff, and then we're going to speak about the fake stuff. But before we even speak about the, 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 the real stuff, there's one fake stuff that I have to speak about, because it bothers me so much. And that's the knock on wood nonsense. Knock on wood is Christian. It is 100%, you know, for anybody who doesn't understand, the, the um, non-Jews or some unfortunately secular Jews, some even religious Jews, they don't even know. And if somebody says something, be like, oh, I hope we have a good year this year in business. Yeah, yeah, knock on wood. And they start knocking on wood. That's, that's, that's not a lot. In fact, the, um, there is a, um, the, the source of origin for it is actually in, um, in, I think it's a Celtic religion, that they used to believe that spirits would live inside trees. And what happened was, is that when they would go, and when they would want the, the spirits to protect them, they would sort of wake them up. Because what happened was that the trees, they would make it into tables and, and wood. Or anything would. So they, after the trees, you know, go, they, you know, they, they, the spirits are sleeping inside their wood over there. So they do knock on wood to wake them up and help them protect them. I don't know what type of people think they are. You know, they're going to wake up a spirit to protect you. Uh, spirits don't sleep. Uh, whatever it is. Uh, that's their, their own situation. But it, it's funny because people take this very seriously. They take nonsense so seriously. I've been in somebody who's an old glass table. And we were in this meeting. And they were like, um, and we, yeah, we were going through. And then it was something that they said knock on wood. And then they were like, this is glass. And they were like looking around. They'll be like, 
You know, and they started finding somewhere else to knock on wood. I'm like, this is ridiculous. And there's a Jewish person also. I'm like, this is complete Avodah Zarah. It's, it's idol worship. Now, so what happened, it also goes into Christianity. Besides that, um, I believe the Irish folklore uh, believes that the, what it happens is, is that, I read this, I didn't even know it was true, but um, they say that the leprechauns are associated with the wood, and you knock on the wood to wake up the leprechauns to protect you from this, or whatever, all the nonsense, right? So, so the, but it's interesting, because what happened is, if anybody knows any, anything about the history of Christianity, um, the, the, you know, the Christianity, the way that it started was, it was, you know, JC was there, and he was trying to, you know, gather his following, and it didn't work out so well, because nobody was really interested. So they had to change a few things. At the end of the day, Long story short, what they started doing is they went over to like people uh, or like groups of people and be like, here, why don't you join our, why don't you join our religion? And they'll be like, uh, you know, we, keep, we would love to, you know, really, your religion sounds awesome and everything. Uh, one guy dies and, you know, we can do everyone. Sounds really great. But we can't because uh, we uh, pray to the, we pray to the Asherah tree. It was an Asherah cult. So the, you know, Christian says, no problem. Says, we'll just bring the tree in into our religion. And that's how, by the way, the Exodus tree was created based off the Exodus tree. This is what people don't realize is that, is that uh, the, the Xmas tree is really sourced in 100% idol worship. It was brought into Christianity from idol worship. There was a cult called the Asherah cult that they used to worship this tree. And what happened was is that the, the Christians wanted to bring them in. So they sort of just like, come into our group, we'll bring the tree in. But we'll bring, we'll, throw, we'll, we'll do it one day a year. And they did add into, uh, into uh, what's it called? And it's unfortunate because there's a lot of people from the Russian background that they bring in their trees. They bring in also, not only on Xmas, they bring in like New Year's or something like that. There's a different uh, situation going on out there. That is 100% idol worship. So there is also there is a, um, so what happened was, he says, uh, the Christianity had to bring in, you know, this, they wanted to bring in this cult, and they, and they said, okay, so now everybody was doing knock on wood in their own religion, so the Christianity said, we have to connect this somehow to, to JC, so they did, I'll get you in a second, so what they did was, is they said, okay, you know what, knock on wood is to remember the wood on the cross that JC was, and that he's going to help you from whatever, wherever he was. These people, well, it's idol worship, it's not that it, uh, it happens to be in the olden days, idol worship, it sounds, you think about it now, and you're like, what type of loser would, you know, bow down to a fat Buddha? You know, like, how is that going to help you? How is a cow, you know, how is cow's urine holy? But yet there are people that they'll drink it. That's how holy it is for it. And they consider it crazy, and it doesn't make any sense. In the olden days, it was much different. Because in the olden days, idol worship was a real thing. And it was like, they had powers. It was like demons, and it was, it was a lot of powers going on in there. It wasn't just like, these people are crazy. Nowadays, I don't see, because I, I, I can't understand it, because there's no magic, there's, no, there's nothing going on beyond it. But uh, there was power behind it. There was, there was, uh, there was a chotatuma behind it. So, over here... The, um, what happened was, so you hear, the knock on wood is all nonsense. It all comes from, non, from, non, uh, um, from non-Jewish sources. I've looked high and low, and I've actually found a Jewish source for knock on wood. And I didn't even consider it a source. But this is the closest thing that I found in it, was that in the, in the 1500s, there were Jews that were hiding out from, the, from being prosecuted. So what they did was, is that they would hide in certain places, and they would make a certain code when they would knock in order to open up. And that's how they would know if it was Jewish or it was not Jewish, and they would open up or not open up. So they hook it out, okay, they're knocking wood, it's really good, good luck from that, it's really far-fetched. The end of the day, don't do it, it's not going to help you at all. One, one, not one iota, the knocking wood thing. Okay, but let's speak about, that's the fake stuff, we'll go more about more fake stuff, but I want to speak about the real stuff, that's the most important part. Real stuff, how do you protect yourself from evil eye? Everybody wants to be protected, everybody wants to have blessing in their life. How do you protect your blessing? Number one, I'll give you Bazaar Hashem, hopefully we'll go through five. Five steps, uh, all different ones on how to protect yourself. Number one is be modest. Be modest means don't show off. Very simple. If you don't show off, if you don't flaunt your blessing, no one's going to go in and going to start, uh, you know, uh, um, you know, putting an evil eye on you. There are certain people that uh, I, I know this, uh, you know, 
I don't want to say what type of community or what type of thing, but they'll they'll put they'll drive a car, they'll put the speakers on the outside of the car. They'll they'll actually go and they'll have like a like the certain like pickup truck. The speakers will be on the outside. Then they'll have lights all around the bottom that go with the beat. You know, and then they're going to have a muffler that, that wakes up the dead people, you know, so as they drive past by. And why do they do that? Why do they do that? Everyone check out, check out what I'm driving. You know, so they're all bringing in, all you're doing is like, here, everyone, evil eye this way. You know, right over here is basically, your, this guy's, and there are people that they'll take a, uh, you know, a $5,000 car, and they'll soup it up, they'll put 15 grand into it. They'll soup it up, because they'll drive fast, they'll make a lot of noise, they'll look cool, whatever it is, and all for what? All for, all for, you know, to have attention, to boost your ego, to have pride, whatever it is. At the end of the day, you're only opening uh, more things for an evil eye. Now, the, the, biggest, the, the biggest thing that I don't understand is, I'll give you as an example. You go over to somebody and says, you know, so how's everything? How you doing? How's life? Oh, Hashem, everything's great. So how's business? It's amazing. Just closed a 50 grand deal. Last month, I closed a 150 grand deal. And this guy's going saying how, how God blessed him with, with Panasa. And meanwhile, it's all fake. This guy's broke. This guy, this guy is completely broke. There are many people, if you get into the business world, you'll see. There are many people like that. They, they just, they, yeah, business is amazing, business is great. Meanwhile, business is terrible for them. Why are they going? And they're, all they're doing is that they're, they're causing other people to be, they're like, wow, this guy just got into this business, ready, made, you know, 250 grand in the past three months. Says, I've been working in this business for who knows how long and I haven't been making that money. So they, they start getting, why is this guy getting an army? So he's basically opening a wide hole for an evil eye to come onto him. And meanwhile, it's not even true. It's not, it, he didn't even gain anything. He didn't even make the deal. I, 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 for my life of me, by the way, that is an extreme example, but social media, that's exactly how it works. You know how social media works? This is a, this is a, you have a guy, I've seen this all the time, since social media started, from the beginning. What do you have? You have a kid that gets over there, he gets behind uh, you know, a Ferrari, you know, whatever it is, you know, somebody released it, he's like, okay, oh, can I get a picture? And he get a picture of it, puts on his Ray-Ban sunglasses, whatever it is, he puts it on the goes in the back there, puts a peace sign, whatever it is, and then he hashtags it all over what? My new ride. Meanwhile, this guy can't pay for the gas for the car. And he's all of a sudden posting on Facebook and all social media, hey, check out my new wheels, guys. Yeah, it's awesome. Such a smooth ride. It goes so fast. Crazy. You know? Uh, you know, people will lie. And, and this, is, this is what, if you realize it, this is what social media has created up. You know what? They have all these filters. Here, here's a filter. This is going to make you look not like you, but it's going to be better than you. And you can show it off to other people. There are certain people that they create. I saw this funny. I, I saw it today, actually. I saw um, there, was a, um, there was a husband and wife. And, you know, you see, you, it, was, it was like a, I don't know what you call it, like a meme, I don't know what it's called. And you see the wife over there with like a delicious, you know, meal set up over there. And you see the husband with a little can, with a little steam coming out and a little spoon inside. And he's like, you know, licking, licking his lips, going over to the big room. He's like, no, 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 that one's for you. This one's for Facebook. And she's sitting here, she's taking pictures of all her food. This is the biggest thing. I have no idea. Why are you taking pictures of your food? Like, it, it makes absolutely no sense. It, you know, if you go back a hundred years, right, and if you ask a person, can we take a picture of your food? They'll think you're crazy. What do you mean to take a picture of our food? People go and they take pictures. And what do they do with the pictures? They post it on social media. See how many likes I get. Oh, let's see what's going on over here. And what happens? They'll be like, oh, this guy, fourth vacation that he went this year. This guy's really good. Look at him. He's going to Bermuda. This and that. Meanwhile, he went to one beach, took 14 different pictures in different bathing suits, different areas, and he slowly posts it up. He plans it out. He's like, I'm going to post one up over here. In six months, I'm going to post it up over here. They go very systematically. They plan it out. And all for what? It's nonsense. It's not true. And not only that, you're all, you're, all you're doing is you're bringing evil eye upon you. I, I hate social media and I'm very much, very much against it. But uh, um, the idea is, is they flaunt their blessing. And not only that, the biggest, the biggest kicker is when they actually, they don't, they don't say the truth. I've sat on business deals where, where people, I, I brought the deals together literally, and I know what they both drive. Both of them. 
were sitting in there and they were telling the other person, yeah, you know, my 150 grand Mercedes right now. Yeah, so, yeah, it was, it was amazing. And the other guy's, oh, you got that Mercedes? I just bought the 80, you know, the $80,000 Jaguar. And I'm like looking at them. I'm like shocked because both of them don't have any cars. And, and they're, they're like telling, you know, the other person about what car they drive. And they're like, they know, they're like rattling off the specs and how they paid in cash and they got a good deal or whatever, all this nonsense. You know, it's not true. He says, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're opening up a can of worms that's going to be all evil eye on you. Why, why would you want to do that? Why would you want to go in and invite evil eye to come upon you? Why are you going to make other people jealous? And the secret over here behind this number one is, the modesty is, don't flaunt your blessing. Baal HaShem, Hashem gave you a blessing. Hashem should give you more blessing. He should give all of us all blessing. But don't flaunt it. Don't hurt other people. Don't cause other people pain because of the blessing that you got. You have to be very careful with that. This is Gemara in Bab Mitzia, that says, Bab Mitzia, page 42a, that says, the Habacha Be'asamecha. The blessing only comes with something that's hidden from the view. You want to have a blessing, you hide it. Don't, you don't have to flaunt it. Also in Gemara and Tanit, page 8b, that says that the, the, the blessing only comes with something that's hidden from the eye. Now, there's some people that are too hidden. And it's very obvious. And then it's it, it just like, you know, like, somebody will like, you know, will, uh, you know, he picks him up for his house. You know, he says, oh, can I use the bathroom? No, no, let's go out. And he, the second he comes, he closes the door and runs out. I don't want anybody in my house. I got marble floors there and the Persian rugs and all this stuff. I don't want any evil eye in my house. There, there are certain people that go a little bit too far. And, you know, which again, which goes back to the step we said before with the Peleots, and you're going to hurt the other person. So be modest in a normal way. You know, don't be, don't go crazy, don't go, uh, um, you know, all, you know, hectic on it and, you know, block everything, black out uh, curtains and everywhere. And so, so obviously be normal, but again, don't make sure that you consider it about other people. This is why you have um, Yaakov. Yaakov, when he blessed, um, when he blessed Ephraim and Menashe, what did he give them a blessing? You know, it's a famous song. What's V'yigdularov? They'll multiply like what? Like fish, dug. What type of blessing is the multiply? Hey, hey, what's going on, buddy? May you multiply like fish, you know? Sounds like a mafia type of thing that I don't know, should I be scared? Should I be nervous? What does that mean, multiply the fish? And the answer is, fish, you ever realize how many, if anybody had a fish tank, you ever realize how many babies fish have? They have like 30 babies. Like, there, there could be a fish this big, and it produces 30 babies somehow. And you're like, this is ridiculous. How is that even possible? How did 30 babies fit inside of that? And, and one of the reasons that, that fish have such a blessing is because they're underwater. The humans cannot see them. The humans cannot put any evil eye on them. The, the fish have a blessing in, in that. So, Yaakov Avinu gave him the blessing. He gave you the blessing. You protect it from the evil eye. You protect it from the evil eye and you'll be popular, populate the world like fish. That was number one, to be modesty. Number two is, is to be happy with what you have. Why is it to be happy with what you have? There was a, um, there was a, there's a Gemara in Brachot. There was, uh, somebody by the name of Rabbi Yochanan, I believe it was. Rabbi Yochanan. He used to sit in a very popular place. He was a very, very good-looking man. And the rabbis go over to him and say, Listen, are you not afraid of, you know, of evil eye? And he says, No, I'm not afraid of evil eye. I come from the descendants of Yosef. And the descendants of Yosef, evil eye doesn't, doesn't, uh, doesn't affect him. And the obvious question is, why? What's so special about Yosef that evil eye doesn't affect? So, he explains that Yosef, he never went out of to look for something that was not his. And you know, the famous story with Yosef and his, and his uh, you know, and Eshet Potifera, which, what she wanted to do, she tempted him so much, so many times, and she even gave him reasons to say that it, she, this is, this was crazy what she did. Besides all the temptations that she did, she also went to him on the spiritual side. She brought him out to, to, you know, to the stars. And so, check out the stars. And from the stars, she proved that from him and her will come an offspring. He says that we're meant to get married, it says it in the stars. Right, what he didn't realize, what she didn't realize, it's from her, from her daughter, Osnas. He met, Yosef married Osnas Patifela, which was her daughter. Which evidently was also the, the, the daughter of Dinah who got raped, was, and she went, I don't know if you guys know the whole story, it's a crazy story in itself, but, but uh, it's a whole circle, when you know the whole picture of the Torah, it's really beautiful. So, um, but in any case, she went and she proved to him that it belongs to, and, he, and so Yosef said, listen, I can't, you're, you're my husband's, uh, uh, you know, 
you're my husband's wife. And she says, we're not even considered married. He's fruity, you know, he goes, he swings to the, he goes, plays for the other team. What? My master's wife, what did I say? My husband, my husband. okay, thank you. <laughs> so, he says, you know, the, the guy plays for the other team. He, he was never with me intimately. And according to their rule, if somebody, if a man is not intimate with his woman, that, you know, she's, she's not, making, not considered married. So she went and she proved to him so many times and times again, and she tried to seduce him, and he's nothing doing. Nothing doing. He didn't, you know, not, not, didn't even budge at all. He says, this person who didn't go after something that doesn't belong to him, nobody could touch whatever belongs to him. He has a protection. And you'll understand this a little bit more clearly when we explain it a little bit more on, on, on this aspect. Um, this is why, you know, you, some people say, Ben Poat Yosef, Ben Poat Aliyayin. You know, some people say, some people say, Ben Poat Yosef, Ben Poat Aliyayin, as a protection for evil eye. There is um, there's a Gemara in Sota that says uh, that if the Gemara in Sota is, is unbelievable Gemara, it's so it's so worth it to look it up. It's a Sota page nine that says if you go after something that you don't have, you'll lose at what you have, and it goes and brings up proof after proof. I'll give you like two of them. Um, the Nachash, the snake, right? We just recently read the Parashat Bereshit. The snake, he, you know what? People don't usually know this, but the, he wanted to be intimate with Chava, and he wanted the he wanted the apple to only go to Adam. So Adam eats it, he gets killed. And then the snake will go and be able to eat, uh, the snake will be able to go and be intimate with Chava. So, uh, the, uh, the way that HaKadosh Baruch Hu went and punished him, he says, it's measure for measure. He says, you wanted to be close to Chava, now I'll cause a, a very big separation. Women and, and a snake never go together. They wanna, it's, it's a, it's disgusting for them. It goes as far apart as well, as, as possible. And now in that, the, the snake had so much going for him. He had legs, he was able to talk, he was able to do a lot of things. And he lost everything. Because if you go after what you have, if you go after what you don't have, you'll lose even what you have. And the most famous of this is Haman. Haman, in his Purim story, we know that he went, he had everything. This guy had, he was second in command, he was a multi-billionaire, he had so much money, he had children, he had wives, he had everything that he could ask for. All he was missing was one thing, was Mordechai. One Jew didn't bow down to him. Everybody else bowed down to him. Everything else in the world that he desired, he had, except for this one thing. And he kept on fighting and fighting and fighting for this and ended up, ended up losing everything. He died, his children died, and you know, he lost all his money, he lost everything. He lost everything at the end of the day. Where did everything go to? Everything went to the person that he was trying to get to bow down, Mordechai. So we see over here, if you go after something that you don't have, you'll lose with what you have. This is a very important aspect in the evil eye. Somebody goes and he's going to say, okay, look at this guy. Look how he has it. Why is it that he has it and I don't have it? And he goes and he'll be like, you know, it's not fair. And, and the, the, that person could actually go, and this is why the, the Kabbalah speaks about it. it, says that if you put an evil eye on somebody else, it's gonna first come upon you. So don't think, you know, there are certain people, by the way, there's a, I, I haven't looked it up, but I heard about this, that it's a company that if you pay them, they will go and they will do an evil eye on somebody else. You send them a picture or some whatever other thing, and for a minimal fee, they will cause hardship upon this person with an evil eye. Right? It's unbelievable what they do. And you ever wonder, you know, like, how is it possible that just by looking, you know, it's going to, uh, you know, it's going to affect another person? We didn't explain this part yet. The, you, know, you ever realize, you're walking in the street, it's a very quiet street, and then you feel like someone's looking at you. And you're like, start, you're looking at, there's no one there, you know? And then you're looking, there's no one in the street, you're walking, and then suddenly, you know, you have this feeling that somebody's looking at you, somebody's watching you. And then you're, and then somehow you look it around and you actually see somebody's in the distance. They made actually an experiment once. I didn't, I didn't validate this experiment, but I, you know, I read it once a while ago. That what they did was they put a bunch of people in a room, and they took a, they took a bunch of other people, and they took pictures of a random select few of the group, and they put another people in another room, and they told them, all you do is you focus on these people's picture. Just concentrate really hard on their picture. And afterwards, they did a survey, and they asked, who felt, you know, somebody, that somebody was looking at you? And the people that were looking at, the, the people that they had people looking at their pictures, felt that they had somebody looking at them, as opposed to the other people didn't feel anything. So there is something going on in the power of sight that's, that, that's going on that, that, is, that you know, we don't understand, that we don't actually see. 
But um, uh, before we go on to the next thing, I do, do want to clarify. Evil eye, way the way the evil eye works is not like, let's say you have a, there's a nice car driving past by and be like, you know, that's a nice car. That's not considered an evil eye. An evil eye is, that's a nice car, how come he has it and I don't? You don't have to even think about it. It doesn't matter. It's like, how come he has it and I don't? The idea is, it's not like, oh, that's a nice car. I want a car like that. Or that's a nice house. I want a house like that. I, this guy is amazing. Let him have it also. But the big problem of the evil eye is, how come he has it and I don't? That's where the evil eye, that's where the evil eye uh, uh, it really holds. So, the, um, and I really should have explained that a little bit earlier. But anyways, moving on to the third thing to protect you. Real things that protect you from evil eye. There is, uh, the third thing is, is that if you do chesed, if you do kindness, it helps you from an evil eye. Now, I never understood this. And, well, like, why would chesed particularly help you? Obviously, <clears throat> if you're doing a mitzvah, right? Let's say you have a very beautiful house. And you're nervous about the evil eye. What you want to do is you want to go and you want to go invite people to have a shul on your house. Right? You shouldn't be worried about an evil eye. You're doing a mitzvah, you're going to be protected. But what happens is, this is, we're talking about general. If you do chesed, you'll be protected from evil eye. Now, why? Why does that protect you from evil eye? And the answer is, 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 I said this over in the class once, and somebody, somebody from the, from the class actually, uh, actually gave me the answer, and I like it very much, and I think, it, I think this is the real answer. And he said like this, he says, what happens when somebody does a lot of good for the community? He's always helping other people. You're like, this guy's awesome. You know, he made good, you're like, no, this guy deserves it. This guy's a great guy. This guy's such a great guy, he deserves it. So when somebody constantly does chesed, constantly does good for other people, nobody wants to put an evil eye on him, because like, no, this guy's awesome. You know, like, look how much he does for everybody else. So it's sort of a protection. Do. Huh? They still do. There's some people that are, you know, a little bit, yeah, the, the little, you know, crazy, that they'll just put an evil eye on everybody else. Which is why there's also some people, and this is also important to, to speak about, there's some people that you have to be careful with. Because, you know, like, how does the evil eye work? You know, Bilam, we didn't even speak about this. Bilam wanted to give an evil eye on the Jewish nation. That's how, you know how we wanted to curse him? He wanted to put in them evil eye. I believe it's, it's in, uh, in, in uh, Numbers and Bamidbal chapter 24 verse 2. It says that, um, and, and Bilam was looking at it, Rashi over there explains, it says, and he wanted He wanted to place in them an evil eye, that was the way that he was going to curse. So the obvious question is, is like how, how is it that some people you know, have the ability to put an evil eye and some people less? Like why, why did he have to hire somebody? Why did Bilak have, to, Bilak have to hire Bilam to put an evil eye? Let's just hear him do it. And the answer is some people have a special power. You ever realize that? And I don't want to explain this. You ever realize that you know, somebody walks into the room, and everybody just gets happy. It's like, oh yeah, this guy's awesome. You know, I love this guy. He just walks into the room. He has just like an awesome face, you know, and everyone gets, you know, everyone's like, McKee, woohoo. You know, everyone's like, oh, this guy's awesome. And then you have another guy that walks into the room, and everyone's like, oh man, who invited this guy? You know, I was like, come on, man. It's like, it's like a party pooper, right? It's like, what happened? These are two people. And then you have somebody else who walks, you know, walks into, walks into the room, everyone hides their wallets, you know? And there are certain people, I had a friend. I had a friend that had a very, very sketchy looking face. Like, uh, he was straight like an arrow, very sharp guy. But the way that he conducted, he walked, he just, he looked sketchy. You know, and everyone's like, what's up with this guy? Is he a drug dealer? What is he doing? So the guy's like, no, it's absolutely not. And he just had this, like, we, this is the way he, that his face was. And that's the way that he, uh, he presented himself. It came looking like he was sketchy. And he was 100% straight an arrow. There are certain people that have certain, you know, charisma. There are certain people that people just don't like. There are certain people that also have a strong power of evil eye. You have to be very careful of these people. There are certain people that are very jealous. Very jealous people, you have to be very careful of them. Very jealous people, right around the corner is another evil eye. So you have to be very careful with these type of situations. You have to be, you know, obviously stay away appropriately. And, uh, you know, don't like when they walk in and be like, shut down! You know, don't look at me. You know, obviously don't hurt them. But, you know, as you can, try to avoid them as much as possible. But, uh, again, without hurting their feelings. And I'm sure you guys know what I'm talking about. Everyone knows what I'm talking about. You know, the one thing always everyone laughs about when I say put your wallet away. Because everybody knows somebody. 
or knows somebody of somebody. They'll be like, all right, you know, something's going on over here. But the idea is that people have certain powers. People have certain charisma. People have certain abilities that, you know, other people don't have. And that ability, you have to be careful with somebody who has the ability to put an evil eye. So that's why these people open up the company. I guess maybe they think they have this ability. And they pay people. People pay them. I'll be like, yeah, sure, we'll put an evil eye on you. Right? I mean, I mean, it's crazy to think about that. People are actually be like, yeah, well, this guy cut me off, right? License plate number, and this is his picture. I snapped it. Why don't you go put an evil eye on him? Who's going to actually go and do that? And the, 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 it goes also the opposite way. You go and you search it online. There is Kabbalah centers that they'll be literally like, well, a minimal fee of $600 will send you a complete evil eye taking care of package. You know, have a, you know, I don't know, magic water, whatever they put over there. All nonsense. And people actually go and they actually buy it, which actually makes absolutely no sense. Even more so, uh, you know, I, I don't want to tell you how many people I've dealt with. The, the people go to these fake capitalists. They go to the fake capitalists. They give them these parchments and they say, keep it on you all the time. Or they, uh, by the way, there's real and there's fake. I'm not going to mention any names. There's some people that, you know, the, but, but there's some people that I know somebody that actually know a few people that they've spent upwards of 15 grand on a, on a, on a, this capitalist to go and go and, t- and help them get rid of an evil eye. All right, the capitalist went over to the room, and I don't know, he sprinkled some water everywhere, started dusting the place off. I don't know what he did. It made some sort of a magical thing. And, uh, you know, I had one person that came over to me once with a book. Right? With a book. My overtime? What was it? Holy water. Huh? Holy water. Holy water. Oh, yeah, yeah. I thought he said I'm overtime. So, um, so yeah, holy water. They'll put all these, like, I don't know what they where they get these holy water from. Maybe it's a mikvah where everyone goes after they go. It's holy all of a sudden. Don't buy those stuff, by the way. Okay, just as if you don't get where I'm going, all this stuff is nonsense, it's fake, and you stay far away from them as possible. The, but there are people that go to these to these capitalists, and these capitalists rip them out of their money. There's Again, there's real and there's fake. Right? And if you don't know, if you want to go to somebody, do some research. Ask somebody who you know who knows about this thing, and they'll direct you to the real one, and there's a fake one. But you have to be careful with these fake ones, because they... Thousands of thousands of dollars, they bleed it out. Why? I'll, I'll fix your evil eye, no problem. Oh, there was a book. There's a book that, uh, that I've seen. There's, there's many books, but there's a book that I've seen that somebody sold it also for a crazy amount of money to, to like people that you know, protect against evil eye. And inside that book, there's a lot of nonsense in there. Not only there's nonsense in there, there's stuff inside of there but with like Christianity and other nonsense stuff. So you have to be very careful with these, you know, when people, you know, again, there's real and there's fake. So you have to know who you're talking about, and uh, you, somebody who's, who's uh, you know, to the unlearned eye, it just looks like a Kabbalistic book. Sometimes they'll give you a real book. It's like a book over there that and says it's good for an evil eye. Some there are like that. Some even make a compilation of different Kabbalistic works, which might work. And then there's others which, which throw in some nonsense stuff, which you have to be very careful. They, they try anything to, to, to make a buck, and you have to be very careful of those type of people. But then again, I'm not bashing by all means any Kabbalists. I'm a very big fan of, uh, you know, Kabbalists, and, and, but the real ones. You have to know that you're going to the legit people, the people that are holy people, that are big tamid hachamim. And, uh, you know, I, I'll give you an example. I went to, I spoke to one person once who spent a lot of money on the Kabbalist, and I said, uh, you know, and I said, so how, how many interactions do you have with this Kabbalist? So they were like, you know, like quite a few. So I asked them, I said, ever once did this Kabbalist ever tell you anything about uh, keeping Shabbat? And she's like, she's like, no, uh, no, absolutely not. And then I said, what about dressing modestly? And I, she's like, she's like, no, I didn't mention anything. She just like, took the money and did his stuff and he left. And I'd be like, all right, you know, there's your answer right there. You know, if somebody, if there's a rabbi that going to a woman, you know, this is, by the way, people have to understand. I know where I really wanted to do systematically. We're going a little bit mumble-jumble. People get very nervous about superstitious stuff, right? They'll do, you know, like, there are certain people, if there's keys on the table, well, you got to be careful, right? They'll jump across the table. Like, Come on, take that off, right? Empty bottle on the table, forget about it. You know, the, you see people are like, constantly putting bottles on, on the floor. They, if salt spills, whew, forget about it. You know, it's ridiculous what, what, what people actually go through. And people don't realize why. Uh, you go to them and be like, well, what's going on? Why are you doing it? And be like, oh, 
you know, evil eye. Come on, it's bad luck. And I'm like, do you know not keeping Shabbat is bad luck? Do you ever realize that? People don't even realize that. People are worried about the fake stuff. They don't even worry about the real stuff. The people don't realize that if you don't keep Shabbat, then even if you do a lot of good things, and even if you do Shabbat later, you still have to go through suffering. Shabbat is one of the sins that, you, that, you're, that the suffering is karat. The punishment, I'm sorry, is karat. Karat means you get cut off. You know, nobody wants to get cut off. Cut off literally means that uh, God says, yeah, me and you, yeah, I don't know you anymore. Snip. In, in relationship is done. Until you do tshuva. Now, let's say somebody does, by the way, there's 36 sins of karat. Right? And if anybody's interested in them, I have, a, I have a class online of that, going through each and every single one of them, and explaining the whole concept of karat. It's on Torah anytime. But, uh, um, so, but the idea is, is that people realize, don't realize, people want to make panasa. Here, somebody wanted to me speak about panasa. People want to make good panasa. What people don't realize, if you're breaking Shabbat, and let's say you go, and you do tshuva afterwards, regardless of it, in order to cleanse yourself from that, you have to go through suffering. It's one of the criteria of karet, is that you have to go through suffering. What people don't realize is when you're violating any su karet, even if you do tshuva, you're going through suffering. You're bringing hardships upon your life. And I guarantee you, it's not worth it, the suffering that you're doing to send a text on Shabbat. To drive a car at Shabbat. It's not, thank you. It's not worth it. All those things, they actually cause suffering. They cause problems in your life. Why would you want to do that? It makes no sense. It says, Shabbat kihi mikor habracha. It's a source of all blessing. I digress. But anyways, uh, let's move on. We'll get uh, more on that maybe later. But uh, um, that number three, we said, du chesed. Uh, protecting of going to do your evil. I will do a quick recap at the end also. Number four, which is probably one of the most important ones, is pray for it. And pray, pray to protect you from the evil eye. And in fact, we pray for it every morning. We said, We pray every morning to, for, for, to protect us from an evil eye. So you have this, we're constantly being, this is one of the things that we need to do. We need to pray to God to save us from an evil eye. And now the, the fifth one is probably also one of the most important ones. The fifth one is, the way that it works is everything is measure for measure. So you want to be protected from an evil eye? Very simple. Don't put an evil eye on anybody else. If you don't put an evil eye on anybody else, nobody can put an evil eye on you. Everything is measured for measure according to God. Now how does it work? Remember we spoke about originally the angel aspect of it. Listen to this, how, it, how we understand it over there. We have the angels. The, um, the way that it works is that uh, um, the angel goes up there and says, listen, I want to open up your, your guy's book because my guy says, why does this guy have a Lamborghini and I don't? Says the angel, so let's say this, this guy never put an evil eye on anybody else. And then somebody else goes and puts an evil eye on him. So he goes up into the next world and they say, listen. He says, look at this guy. He says, they go up there and they bring up, says, let's open up his books. Let's open up his books. Why does this guy have a Lamborghini and I don't? And your angel will go up and be like, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, you can't open up this book. He says, this guy never caused anybody else's book to be open. Nobody can cause his books to be open. He says, you want to protect against evil eye? Don't give an evil eye on anybody else. If you don't give an evil eye on anybody else, nobody can give an evil eye uh, uh, onto you. Now, you ever realize, why is it evil eye? Why is it one? Why is it singular? People have two eyes. Why is it evil eye? It should be evil eyes. And the answer is that if you look, uh, the reason why we say evil eyes is because you're looking at it from a, like a one-eye perspective. It says if you really open your eyes, you realize that God gave this guy something, and God gave this guy something, and God gave this guy something, and God gave me something. And each one has a separate mission. And it says if you realize that each one has a separate mission, you're, if you look at it from both eyes, you'll be like, okay, God gave him this for a reason, God gave me this for this, for this reason. So you realize it's, it's, what's the evil eye? It's like we're in, a, in, a, in, a, in our own mission. An example would be, um, would be let's say, for um, you're going and... Uh, here, here's a good example. There's somebody who's a, who's a big, big movie star. And he's going and he's, he's going through a, you know, he's, he's acting out a scene. And his, his, the, whole, the whole concept of the movie is, is that the person is a very poor genius. 
and his manager, his boss, is constantly basically abusing him and taking, you know, getting very wealthy off all his brains, basically. And this guy, is re- this rich guy, who is the main actor, is playing this poor, poor guy scene, and he's reading this, uh, this script, and he's, you know, they're playing out scene after scene, and then he gets, he knows, he gets fed up. He's like, why am I playing the poor guy? He says, I'm the guy with the money. I'm the guy who's wealthy. I should be playing the wealthy guy. And he's like, you know what? That's it. I'm the main actor. I'm the, I'm the lead cast over here. I'm going to do what I want. And he gets on the next scene, and he starts switching the, the lines. He starts reading the lines for the rich guy and the manager. And the manager is like, you know, they're, they're sitting in the scene and be like, you know, and, you know what's going on over here? I'm, that's my line. And suddenly the director starts screaming, cut, cut, cut. They'll be like, yo, dude, what's going on? You're reading the wrong line. And this big actor says, you know what? I changed my mind. He says, I want to be the, I want to be the rich guy. He says, it doesn't make, come on. He says, I'm a rich man. He says, you're going to put me down. I'm the lead actor. I'm popular in Hollywood. You're going to put me down here playing a poor man? The director looks at him like he's crazy. He's like, are you, he's like, I don't understand. What do you, what do you mean? This is your, this is your role. And he's like, so what's my role? I want to play the wealthy guy. So the guy goes and doesn't understand. He says, he says, listen, right? The actors need to be, you know, coochie coochie coot a little bit. He says, come outside. He goes, puts his hand around and walks out to the parking lot. He goes and he says, well, tell me, how many Bugattis do you see? And the guy says, one. He says, and whose Bugatti is it? He says, mine. He says, do me a favor. Read your scene, read the poor man, and then go drive your Bugatti because you deserve it. He says, you want to pay for that Bugatti? Read the poor man scene. That's going to give you the Bugatti. He says, when we come, when we don't realize is that we have a special role in this world. We, our role is to play who we are. Not to play the other person, not to play, you have to, your role. Right? Don't try to be somebody else that you're, you're not playing your role. You want, you're getting paid the big bucks. You realize Jews get paid the big bucks. You know why they get paid the big bucks in the next world? It's because we have a lot of work to do. We have 613 mitzvot. Even though you count it today, we, uh, most of them, a third of them doesn't even count. But we have, we have very important things that we need to do. And we get paid for it in the next world. Says God, be like, what are you worrying about? You're here for 100 years, 120 years? Play your role. Don't worry about it. I got your Bugatti getting in the car wash in the next world. How do Right? We have something so special waiting for us. Focus on your role, and you're worried about it, you know, over there. What time do we have until over here? Until forever. <laughs> For three people? <laughs> All right. That's yeah, worth it. All right. So, um, yeah. So there's a plant that, that's called uh, frankincense. Yeah. What about it? And, and there's an old Bukhari way that to clean your soul. Does that clean those kind of things? Clean your soul? What does that mean? Oh, you mean to remove an evil eye? To remove an evil eye? No, not necessarily. So, is it called the Ruta plant? The Ruta plant. There's something called the Ruta plant that Kabbalists actually hold with. Uh, there's certain Kabbalists. There's a certain plant that does protect it. So. I didn't think I'd have time to speak about it, but being that you mentioned it, there are certain people that they'll go to people and they'll do lead. They'll put lead upon. Yeah, yeah. They do it. Besides, it's also it's it's a lot of it's it's a, a lot of grandmothers. Not only, it's not just Bukharians. It's a lot. It's many. Not necessarily. There depends on the source for it. Depends on the source for it. There is there is. So so I'll give you an example of lead. Lead is very popular. What they do is, is that they'll go to they'll go over to somebody and they'll put a pot of, of water inside and then they'll start pouring lead. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it. There are people, you know, the people. Yeah, it is capitalistic. So um, there are people that are against it. That people say that it's okay. People that are against it say it's ma'aseh kabbalah. You know how to do practical kabbalah. Theoretical kabbalah is what you learn. Is what you're is is more what people do nowadays. You don't do practical kabbalah. So. There's some people against it. Some people say it's okay. The main thing is if you go to someone who's righteous and spiritual and knows what they're doing, then you know, safe to say you're probably okay. But if you're just going to some random person in the street, be like, hey, buddy, come in the back. I got get rid of this evil eye. You got a I see many, many eyes in you, you know. And you know, she gets her, you know, she has an earring and every four, you know, centimeters. Those type of people is better to stay away. There is, there is, there is certain ways to go and get rid of these ayinara. Uh Generally, you know. 
some of them work, some of them don't. If uh, if it's a righteous person, then you could you know then you could be safe to say that it's probably okay to use it. But I would always double check it. I would always double check it. There's lead. There's all different types of other other ways to do it. There is. Um, um, so where do we check it? What do you mean check it? So where should we do these five things and you'll be okay to remove it? You mean to remove your? You don't have to check it. No, no. I mean uh, the thing that you burn on the pen. Where where should you check it if it's like good or not? Oh, you, you, no, so it depends who's doing it. If it's somebody who's, who's a Tamid Chacham, big. Yeah, so who knows where they got it from? They could have got it from Jewish sources, they could have gotten it from, like, you know, Bukha, something. Yeah, they could have gotten something, you know. Some of them do, do work. Just, just because. Yeah, it looks like an eye. There is something that you're supposed to say also with it, though. So it's, it's yeah. She reads for like an hour straight. She's Jewish? Oh, okay. Yeah, so you have to be careful with those things, depending on what the on what the source is. There's some rabbis that are against it. Some rabbis are, you know, indifferent to it. Um, but uh, the idea is, is that you know, stick to the real stuff. The real stuff is a tuah. And she always says you can leave however much you do is right to leave. Never tell right, right. Also, that's also a nice. Yeah. Uh huh. There is. I happen to know a certain a certain big uh, kabbalist that does certain you know things for the evil eye. I don't know what's his method. He does some sort of prayers. Um, so that's, there's, there's ways to do it. There, you know, best is to go focus. You know, tamim Always be pure and, and straight to God. Okay. So the idea is is that the fifth thing that we spoke about is don't don't put an evil eye on anybody else. You won't uh, get an evil eye on you. Now, this is also what the Gemara in Barachot speaks about in Barachot in uh, page 20b that says that somebody who does not want what other people have is less susceptible to evil eye, which is the same idea what we spoke about until now. Okay. Now, we have, um, we have, uh, like, a I want to speak about the red string, the hamsa, and a few other things. Do we have, uh, um, yeah, we, have time. we do have time. Yeah, okay. So, uh, okay. So, uh, th- just this part itself, I probably need another 20, 25 minutes, and hopefully we'll, we'll wrap up the, this uh, evil eye thing, and then we'll speak about whatever else you guys want to speak about, if you do want to speak about anything else. The, um, the red string, I think this is very important. So, first of all, let's do, let's do a quick recap on the, on, the, on the evil eye and the parts that, on the things that you can protect yourself with. Number one, we said is be modest. Right? This protect yourself because you don't, you don't flaunt your blessing. Number two is be happy with what you have. Don't look for things that don't belong to you. If you look at things that don't belong to you, you end up losing what you actually have. And number, uh, number three, we said to do chesed, do kindness. When you do kindness, you, other, everybody starts liking you. You're an amazing guy. You do a lot of chesed. You do good things. So people will less likely put an evil eye on you. And besides the fact that the, the chesed will also protect you as well as Torah. Number four, we said pray for it. And pray to protect you against the evil eye. And number five, we said also that don't uh, give an evil eye on anybody else. You won't be able to get an evil eye on you. Because everything is measure for measure. Okay. So now, let's speak about a few things that, that are becoming very unpopular. Uh, I, guess, I should say, unfortunately. And let's start with the red string. The red string. What's the source for the red string? I don't know. Right. So, okay. So we'll go through a few things. First of all, let's start with this. I've tried to look high and low. And I couldn't find a real source. I know... Those are, we're going to speak about all the sources that you probably heard of, and I'll explain each and every one of them. But a real source in the Gemara, in the, in the Halakha, even in the Zohar, I didn't find it. I didn't find a real source that says a red string will protect you. So, one of the reasons why they do a red string, I'll give you a few reasons, and again, not that this is, this is the reasons how people explain it now, but not that it's a source. There's a reason and then there's a source. I can give you reasons, I've yet to find a source. Um, so it says that uh, the Mishkan, when it was built, it was used a special red dye. And this dye came from a, a worm, and the dye was red. 
So what they did was is that what people said, okay, we'll put a string around you. And what happens is, it's not that the way how it will protect you, because you will look at it, you'll look at the red string, and you'll be like, oh, this came from what? It came from a worm. And if it came from a worm, you'll be like, okay, where am I ending up? I'm ending up in the ground with the worms. And if you if you realize that you're going, it's sort of going to bring your pride down and your ego down. You say, if you realize, if I'm ending up there, what am I going to go show off? And then we're back to reason number one, we said, be modest. If you don't show off, you're not going to have uh, an evil eye. So this... According to this reason, it's not even that it helps you as a magical protection. It's sort of a reminder. Like, hey, you're warm, you're nothing, you're a piece of, you know, dirt. And, you know, don't show off. So it would help you in that aspect of it. Again, not a, not a source, but a reason. There's another reason that, uh, which is the Tosefta, I, I saw in the Tosefta, that says that not only is it not, is it, uh, it doesn't help, it's actually, it actually works against you. I think the Rambam, Maimonides, also speaks about it, that it's better not to do it. It's, it's called Dakeh Amori. It calls, it's called the way of the, of the, and we'll soon speak about that a way, you know, let me speak about it now while we're on the topic of it. The, the way of the non-Jews, the way of the Goyim. Goyim. It says over here, the English and the Irish folklore, in the year 1040, right? So you're talking about almost a thousand years old. They used to tie red strings on different parts of their body to heal various elements. So, for example, they'll tie it around the neck to, for, for a cough. Or they'll tie it around, in England, they used to tie it around, uh, also around the neck to, for the teething pains. And then you have in Kansas even, they would tie it around the neck also for nosebleeds. Don't try this at home. This is all nonsense, by the way. Um, and then you have in Romania, and the pregnant woman would tie it around the middle finger to prevent, uh, tra- um, to prevent miscarriage. And then you have, uh, you know, other people would tie it in different parts of the body, all red strings, which is all sourced in completely the non-Jewish way. And hence, there's, there's, there's many people that say it's better, better you don't wear a red string. That not only it's not gonna, it's not gonna help you, it's gonna go against you. But let me speak about the most famous one, which is Rachel Imenu. They say, you know, they'll go, they'll take a, they'll take a red string and they'll go around, they'll say a few, uh, you know, maybe Kabbalistic verses and they'll go around Rachel's tomb, uh, in, in Israel seven times, right? And, you know, so this is very good for one person and one person only, the guy who's selling it. Because he's gonna make a nice, he takes a red thread that's worth 99 cents and he sells it for 36 bucks or whatever that he, whatever that he makes it. But what's the source? Why, why Rachel Imenu? And this is interesting where, where it comes from. Because Rachel, if you, if you know the story of Rachel Menu, Rachel, she gave up her husband, basically, for her sister. Her, her sister Leah, what happened was, Rachel was supposed to, was supposed to go and marry, marry Yaakov Avinu. And, you know, they spoke, and Yaakov agreed that he's going to marry Rachel. And then, you know, um, Rachel's thinking, he says, listen, my, my father is a sketchy guy, and who knows what he's going to do, so let's make some sort of, uh, let's make some sort of plan, a secret code, if you may, that will prevent us from, from, you know, him, you know, giving you off to somebody else. So Yaakov said, fine, at, he gave him a, gave him a, uh, they gave each other, he gave her a secret code. The secret code is, what does a woman do before Erev Shabbat? That was the secret code, and there was three things. What? Yeah, Shabbat, yeah, and Flashat HaChala, and all those things. So that was the secret code. And Rachel said, fine, excellent. Comes the day before the wedding, or close to the wedding, and Rachel hears that her father is gonna do the old switcheroo. You know, the old trick, switching sisters in the, under the bride, under the canopy. Why that? I don't know why this specifically that. No, so this is how this is this is what happened. So what happened was is that is Rachel saw that she's she's gonna lose out of her husband, right? And it's not like okay, I'll get the name. it's Yaakov Avinu, right? She wanted Yaakov Avinu, and she said she was thinking and she was like, listen, she says I have a secret code. He's not gonna marry her because he knows my secret code. But then she was thinking, she says, listen, she says my sister is gonna be so embarrassed. Imagine you get up on you know on the chupa and they say uh, okay. You know, and Baruch uh, they bring you on the Kala, the Chatan, and uh, the, the Chatan says, okay, what's the secret code? He gives him the thing, and, and she's like, what's the secret code? And he's like, wait a minute, this is not my wife. She'll get very, very embarrassed. 
So she said, so, so Rachel goes over to Leah and says, hey, listen. She says, um, I, I learned this crazy piece of information. She says, you know, um, you know like what, what, a, what a woman is supposed to do before Shabbat? And she says, they do these three things. Leah looks at her and says, okay, thanks for that uh, odd piece of advice, but, uh, you know, I'll take it into consideration. Comes the chupa, comes under that, under, Yaakov says, you know, what's the secret code? But he's asked the question, what is a woman supposed to do by, before Shabbat? And she says, oh, listen, I just learned this today. What a, what a coincidence. And she tells it to him. And he says, oh, look, I got my right wife. And she goes and they get married. And not only do they get married, they, she never brings it up. She never brings it up throughout the entire, the entire life. She, Rachel never rubs it in her face and be like, oh, yeah, you know what? That was supposed to be my husband. Not once. Leah, the entire time, thought that she was supposed to marry Yaakov the whole time. She never knew once, she never rubbed it in her face once, that she was supposed to, uh, um, that she was supposed to, uh, be the real, be the real husband, be the real, uh, be the real wife. So, what we do is, yeah, is... But, yeah, but wasn't she like, thinking in her head that, that's supposed to be my husband, not... That's what he's saying, No, she didn't say it. Yeah, if what she thought in her head, I don't know. I don't know what she thought in her head, but apparently not. She was a very, very righteous woman. What? The signs, right? They gave her the signs, so you didn't even know. But the idea is, is that, is that over here we learn of something very important: that Rachel lost her husband, and she was never jealous of her sister. She was never jealous of her sister. So what we're saying is, don't be jealous of somebody else. Where do we learn that from Rachel? Hence, what we do: we take the the, the string, wrap it, or you know, go around the the keva Rachel, and then you, they give it to you. And what, what you're really doing is you're remember, remembering that it not that it's red, that it came from Rachel. Because what happens when it came from Rachel? You're you're learning basically that just like Rachel was never jealous on anybody else, she never put an evil eye on anybody else. Nobody could put an evil eye on her. Nobody could put an evil eye on you. Hence, her son also Yosef carried the same character trait. Never, no one was able to put an evil eye on him. He never went after something that doesn't belong to him. So, we see over here that it's not even the red string. It's just the symbolic reasons of behind it it's supposed to remind you. And the last reason I'll give you for the red string is it's, it's shiny. So, what happens is, is that people have a very short attention span. If you ever realize that, you know, like somebody's, uh, you know, you see like, oh, look at this cute baby. Oh, look, oh, the red string. Oh, yeah. And, you know, they don't even realize. They can't even put the evil eye because they get distracted by the red string subconsciously. You know, this is why, um, this is why advertisers, the way, the way that also worked, like with, um, the way that people um, would, uh, would, let's say, designers, how to design clothing with letters over here, letters over here, letters in all these different places. Why? Because it attracts the eye right away. It looks, you, you look over there because you, you need to read it, you know, whatever it is. You're like, what, Obama is my, no, like, you know, like, you look all these weird things and be like, why are you reading somebody else's shirt? And you do it subconsciously without even thinking about it. You do it. Okay. So, um, the, the main idea is, is uh, people, you know, when bad things happen to them, the first thing that you need to do and you need to realize is, is stop blaming it on evil eye. Stop blaming it on other things. It says in the Gemara, I believe it's in Gemara in, Shab, in Barachot, page 5. It says, you know, if something, Adam, if, if bad things come to a person, look in your side. Why is God causing this to me? Stop blaming it on other people. Oh, you know why I got this? Evil eye. Evil eye. People think they get a new car and they get scratches. Why the evil eye? They're like, no. Because God wanted you to get it. Why did God want you to get it? Now you have to figure out why. Why is it that God wanted it? Maybe I'm blasting non-Jewish music in my car. Maybe I'm, I'm driving to places I shouldn't be driving. You start thinking about why God did things to you and stop blaming things about the evil eye. Now, um, there's other, other things I want to speak about is the Hamsa. The Hamsa, you know about the Hamsa? Right, so the Hamsa is like a, it looks like a hand, right, with like two thumbs, and then it has, you know, then it has like an eye in it, then it has some fish in there, and then it has some Kabbalistic things in it. It has a lot of interesting things, it depends where you buy it from. But the idea is, what's the idea of the Hamsa? So, the source of the Hamsa is also very much unknown. Um, there, there's some people that say it's the hands of Miriam, and the five hands is the five books of Moses. Then, you actually, we go, there's also traced back to Muslim sources, where it's the hand of Fatima, Fatima, right, the daughter of Muhammad. 
and the five fingers represents the five pillars of, of, of Islam. So then you go and say, well, okay, which one is it? You know, the big difference, which one it is. So the idea is, is that, but for, for, the, for the Hamsa, there's actually people that ask rabbis and said, since nobody protests, nobody in the olden days protested against it, you could continue with it. You continue with it, it's not, it's, and it's not so, not as much as a problem. I found more problems with the red string than actually of the, of the actual Hamsa. Okay, so now, um, that is basically the idea of the evil eye. We have a few things of superstition. Any questions on the evil eye so far? No? Okay. Question. Oh, very good. Does it make a difference if somebody says, and It's good. It's good to say that. Yeah. It's good to say that. somebody says, I never heard of the Imayin Atov. I know, and I, I'm saying I never heard of that word source. <laughs> Might as well keep on giving bro bacha. You can keep blessings don't hurt. Yeah. <laughs> put it put it with the seal. It could be. I know people do Ben Plot yourself, people also do. This whole thing with the Gemara with the I didn't bring it this Gemara on Bachot page fifty five. You put the right hand the thumbs in the each one and then you say a certain thing, I'm the son the son of Yosef which evil eye doesn't protect. The reason why I don't really why why I don't usually speak about that is because then people are like, Wait, what am I supposed to say? And it's like a whole Aramaic text and I have to literally sit there and dictate and they're like writing it down and so so it takes a lot of time. So I usually don't say that. But yes, I believe it's in a Gemara in Bachot page fifty five, if I'm not mistaken, that speaks about there what you say if uh, you put your thumb in another th- you put your thumb your right thumb in your left hand, your left hand th- thumb in your right hand like this, and then you say certain things. You say certain things that I'm the descendant of Yosef, where things, where uh, evil eye doesn't have any effect on me. Also looking at your left nostril. Left nostril as well. Also because, well. like this I don't know, but left nostril, yes. You look at the nostril because what he means is basically look inside. Stop looking everywhere else. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so the question your left eye, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> Start like, cross eye. So the sin, the very first sin out of all the sins, what was it really? Was it not going to die? No, the first sin, it says, uh, one of the reasons you've seen it is ungratefulness. It would actually be. The, you know what? I'll answer that. Um, it, it wouldn't be not guarding the eyes. Even though it says that he wow. saw it, there's a, there's a lot. There's a, the, when you go into the first sin, you could speak about that for hours, by the way. Not hours, days. Days in it. There's, there's books there. If you want afterwards, at the end, of, when we finish this, I, I could go uh, try to try to gain some clarity on it. There's some beautiful stuff on it. and You, know, you, you, you go through like almost every sin. On that. The first official sin was murder. No, the first official sin was Adam. Adam eating from the tree. God said, God gave him one, one thing. For one mitzvah. Oh, well, the main thing was the law say. The law say was, well, you can do whatever you want. Yeah. Show that the world is possible before negative. Show that the world is, oh, you mean, well, uh, yeah, well, right, right. Anything from the garden you can eat, except for one thing. But the main, the main mitzvah was really, the, the main thing was just to overcome it from, from not eating it. No, so yeah, so you said the snake tricked Eve, and uh, the you know tricked Chava, and basically you know made them fall. Yeah, but wasn't it Adam's fault because he said to Chava not to even touch the tree? Right, right. It was his fault. It was his fault in a certain way as well. Yeah, obviously. Otherwise, he wouldn't have gotten punished for it. Mm-hmm. Snake had scaled before. He uh, got no arms. I don't know. I don't know. It's an interesting question. Bones, bones. Right. He had, he had arms, legs, um, able to talk. He was the king of the animals. Dinosaurs. Some say dinosaurs, some say... Yeah. He was the king of the animals. King of the jungle. Or whatever it was back then. He didn't slither, though. Lion was... No, he didn't slither. Lion was not... Lion became... I don't know. Who made the lion the king of the jungle? Uh, was that the uh, lion king? Oh, yeah. 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 So, maybe... I don't know. Maybe there's a source. I, maybe there's a source in the Torah that lion... I may, there might actually be a source in Torah that the lion is actually the, the king of the jungle. I mean, come on. Look at the beard that he has. Big rabbi. 
Yeah. Okay, let's, let's do a little bit more about the superstition, then we'll go on all these questions. Um, so, superstition. Superstition is a very, very big thing, unfortunately. And a lot of things are, are a source of nonsense and garbage and fake, you know, all, all things that you should not do. Black cat. I don't know if you ever heard of that. Walk in front of a black cat, right? There's a black cat walking in front. You ever seen this? Yeah, I, I, it's just really, I, some, I find it comical. You know, I see people walking and there's a black cat. It just, just watch people. They're like, it's like football. It's like, where's it going? You know? Because if you cross its path, oh, forget about it, bad luck. What they hold, what they say is if there's a black cat walking and you cross its path, you're getting bad luck. Now, where did this come from? What was the source for this? Now, I know the source. What is the reason? It was witches. Because what, what happened was, it was witches and wizards used to use black cats. The Gemara actually also brings black cats. For if you want to see demons, there's a certain thing in Bachot, the Gemara in Bachot, that you do certain things so you can see the demons. Right? Third, yeah, it's a generation, a placenta of a dark, of a female cat, of a, of a daughter of a female cat, and you take the placenta, you burn, whatever, there's a whole different ingredients, no need to go through them. The, um, nobody should try it at home in any ways. So the, what? One person, one rabbi tried it, and he went blind from it. And then the rabbis, he got hurt, he got, I'm sorry, he didn't go blind, he got, he got hurt from it, Rabbi Yossi. Yeah, and the, the rabbis prayed for him, but this is in the time of the Gemara. The rabbis prayed for him, and he got, uh, you know, and he, and he was better. But, uh, yeah, it's not something, don't try it at home. The, but the, the, what, what happened was, is that they believed, you know, uh, this is like English, you know, and it's weird because there are certain countries that black cat was good luck, and there were certain ones that was bad luck. So, it was so bad that some of them considered an omen of death. They'll, they'll have a terrible day if they see it, they cross a black cat. But the idea was that it belongs, black cats belong to demons and witches, and if you cross it, it's, you know, you're, you're basically, your, your communication to God and the heavenly spheres is getting mis, mis, mumble jumble. Again, all nonsense, right? You see a black cat, you do hopscotch, whatever you want. I've never seen any source. All these things, I've never seen any source. If anybody hears, or is watching, or listening, that hears of any source of this, please reach out to me and, and, uh, and let me know of any source. I, I'm... OCD. Friday 13th. What about, yeah, Friday. Uh, okay, 13th. Uh, no, 13th. You know, there's, there's the, they don't make 13th floors on, on buildings because yeah, of superstition. Uh, <laughs> They'll make 14, which is really 13th. It's just called something else. There's this spice that will find burn. So that's what they were telling me here earlier. Huh? I don't know. I don't know what the spice is. They said frankincense. Huh? Sage. That's 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 different. That they have, there's some Chinese herb that comes from idol worship that does that. Those for good luck. The third eye tells you. Yeah, sure. What makes idol worship? What is idol worship? No. What makes it idol worship? They. It's calling on spirits. What? No. It's no. Even if. Even if you do it not thinking, like for example, there's a, there was a certain idol worship that you had to defecate in front of it. Yeah. Defecate, move your bowels. And there's one person who was walking there and they saw this idol worship and he says, you know what, I'm going to embarrass this idol. And he goes and he defecates in front of it. The priest goes up to him and says, wow, we have to give you such a blessing. He says, we've never seen somebody serve the idol so well as you. And Because it doesn't matter. When you're serving idol worship, it doesn't matter how it is. It doesn't matter how it's turning out. If it's, if it's idol worship, regardless of the intention, you're not allowed to do it. You know, so if it's this incense that is calling upon the spirit of, you know, whatever the little baby of the Chinese that they worship, you know, you have to realize that they always worship babies and different things. So if it's calling up the spirit of this baby, then, you know, that's, you know, that's idol worship. And you're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to light this. Besides, those things smell crazy. So, you know, terrible. It's like strong, yeah. Um, but there's something that smells good, but you have to be careful what, uh, what it is. As long as it's not sourced in idol worship, you're okay. I mean, the, you, the, again, the, this, you know, is it actually going to, you know, scare away spirits? I don't know. Okay. Uh, what about, you know, like how there's some people out there, they sacrifice like uh, little kids. Yeah, nowadays I don't know. Black Fridays, they have some kind of. They still sacrifice little kids? Yeah. yeah. It's still going on? Still, it's Moloch. I don't know. Well, Moloch was, the, was, oh yeah, yeah, Moloch was sacrificing, right? Moloch was, a, 
Molech used to, you know how they used to, um, um, they used to sacrifice to, and it's a demon. It's like a, it's like a demonic worship. But people think of it as, as a spiritual, you know, thing. What? No, legally they can't. They'll, 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 they can't. Uh, oh, Satan worshippers. Yeah, yeah, Satan worshippers. Uh, yeah, there's a whole class in itself that I have in there. Yeah, yeah, the goat or whatever they got. Yeah. And they wrote on it that sit on his lap and ask for a wish and he'll. Yeah, because now he became Santa, huh? Crazy, right? <laughs> uh, look at that. They put demon and Christianity together. Satan worshippers is very interesting because I've once done research on it, um, only because I have to, not because I want to. Um, and and it's ridiculous of what they. There's different types, by the way. There's there's what I don't know why. One Satan worshippers are what they do is they're like they basically say like, um, well, basically you can do whatever you want here, and that's so like what's the religious part about it? Like you know, we worship. You know, it's it's very hard. Other ones they actually worship the Satan. They believe that there's two powers. There's God and there's a Satan, and they actually go and they worship. They bring sacrifice to the Satan, and they actually pray to the Satan, and they hail the Satan. They do crazy, crazy stuff. Very scary. They don't want to meet with these people. Yeah, but what about the Ouija boards? Are they, uh, Ouija boards is a problem halacha because it's of like seance. Seance is calling. You can't calling on no Ouija board spirits. You're not allowed to call. Some yeah, you can do it. You can do it, and and there is calling on the spirits. It's usually called. It's usually under the classification of seance. It's called dorash in the and it's Torah. You're not allowed to. It's karat. It's one of the. You're not allowed to. Uh, in a, if you do it a certain way, it's karat. Get out of the room. It's not. It's dangerous. I know a story in Israel. Doesn't matter. They could, so I'll tell you like this. There was a story in Israel. There was a, in Israel, it's very unfortunate because what happened was in Israel they would. Uh, um, I actually want. To, I actually want to present a whole class on seance at one point in time. I have to work on it. There's a lot of information on it. Not how to do it because I don't want to. You know, there's, I don't feel like anybody sh- should be trying this. It's it's a very big sin, and you, and you don't want to mess around with these things because it's very dangerous. There is a um, the way that. Uh, um, there was in Israel. Unfortunately, it's very common. You have people in the army, and people in the army they lose, they lose their friends, they lose their brothers in the army. So they feel very down, and then they hear there's a way to connect to these people you're through a seance. Seance is basically calling on the spirit, and they would call on the spirits. It used to be, I don't know if it still is. It used to be very big in the army. They used to call on it. So there was one guy who became about Shuvah, but he says a story. His story is like in Hebrew. It's like an hour and a half long. It's, if you if you know Hebrew, I definitely recommend you listen to it. It's um, he speaks about how. He went there, and he was like, um, he wanted to, uh, they, they were told him, they said, come, we're going to do a seance. He said, ah, come on, the Meshuggah, what is all this nonsense? Ah, no, all these things don't make any sense. It's, it's not true. I said, come on, we'll test it. This is fine. You know, so they do the whole thing. They dim the lights. They put the candles. They, they call on the spirit in the way that they call it. And he's all laughing at him. It's like ridiculous, you know. And then the, you know, then the spirit comes. And he says, okay, you don't believe him, Mr. Non-Believer? Go ask the spirit anything you want. So this is in the olden days. There was no cell phones. There was no nothing. He says, okay. He was in the army base. His his family lived, you know, a few a hundred kilometers away. You know, like a miles, like very far away. And he says, uh, "Do me a favor. Uh, tell me what's going on in my house now." So the spirit says, "Okay, hold on." It pauses for a minute, and then it, you know, like zoop, comes back, and he says, "Your mother's on the phone, and your father and brother are watching the soccer game." And he says, "Fine. Let's see." He rushes out to the nearest payphone. He dials home. He dials. It's a busy ringtone. He's like, "All right, coincidence." He dials again. Busy ringtone. He waits, he waits a minute or two, dials again, and mother answers. Say, hey, what's going on? I hear you, you know, somebody was ringing three times. He says, yeah, it was me. I have a question for you. Um, he says, uh, what's, what's dad, you know, she was, he got one part right, that she was on the phone. He says, what's, uh, what's dad and, and the brother doing? And she, she's like, let me check. She's like, they're watching, they're watching the game on the, on the, on the couch on the TV. And then he's like, all right, this is crazy. And then, yeah, I'll get your question in a second. And then he's like, and then he got into it. And then he got really into it. And he got, and he got crazy into it that he started doing it all the time. And he started calling on these dead people, and it got so bad that um, 
possessed? He didn't get possessed, but one time he came home and his entire wallpaper had like 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 scratches yeah, all over the place. Attention, and when they don't get it, they come back. And get I don't know what the reason is. You don't mess with these people. You don't mess. It's not people. You don't mess with spirits. No, usually they're spirits. There could be shadim also, but usually it's spirits. Spirits are the, these people are stuck in the kafakelas stage, yeah, which means they don't. They're not in hell. They're not in heaven. They're in the in between stages. One of the worst stages to be in. So these are the people that you're able to communicate. Depending on their punishment, depending on the other thing. Some people could be there. It's worse than hell. Hell, people like it. Certain sins, people get stuck on there, like adultery, for example. That people, that people, yeah. People like hell. What? Did you say people like it? No, people get stuck there. I didn't know. People, people get don't. Oh, people would want, would wish to go to hell over that. Oh. Hell is is considered. They want to. They try to go to hell. You know. And this is the whole idea about possessions. It's all another whole class I have about it. It's all, to understand possessions. A phenomenal topic. Um, Antori, and, Antori. No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't put it on. There's a few classes I didn't put up any time yet. And anyway, official possessions, were possessions which a whole bunch of Kabbalists and rabbis actually helped the person. Absolutely. Really yeah. Mincha Yehuda. Mincha Yehuda is an excellent source. It's in there's in English. With this guy with yeah, the, the call, he ended up uh, he, he ended up actually doing chuba. He was a secular guy. He ended up doing chuba. You see him now. He's a long beard, telling the story. I believe, or he's, uh, if, if I remember it correctly, and uh, he he ran away from that that whole life. He stopped that. You had a question. Something so spiritual have a voice. They so it depends. Usually, the way that it works in seances, they use uh, they use a Ouija board, so they use that. Spells it, spells it out. Yeah, there's all the letters there, and just moves the the cup for wherever it needs to spell it out, and then you write it out. Um, the other way, it has a voice is if it possesses somebody, wow. and then it speaks from inside that person. So it can be two voices, but it's usually one. Oh, there's only one. Only one person can take. Only one spirit can take in charge of it. So, so wait, is the person aware that he is possessed? At some point, yeah, yeah, but they don't have any control of it. It's like they're not part of their body. Yeah. And that means you're still in there. Yeah, yeah, they're still in there. There's two. There's two so souls. One and one is basically can do whatever they want. So I have a question on that. If should you say kaddish for that being that's inside you? Yeah, there are certain Kabbalistic, uh, um, there are certain Kabbalistic things where you take out these type of spirits. There's certain tikkunim. The most famous one that was, you speak of is Rabbi Huda Fataya, which is known as the Minchat Yehuda. He wrote a whole book about it. And he used to, this is one of the things that he focused on. On dispelling spirits from bodies, exorcisms. It's a whole class that I had. It's, a, it's interesting because I wrote up this whole class years ago and never gave it. There's other class. I never gave a class about hell. I have a, I've a whole class written about hell, um, about what goes on in there, what's all that. Never, never gave those two uh, classes. Why not? <laughs> Why? So it's not for everybody. What? People are so into their nonsense. No, that's true. The reality check. Is there a school for exorcist <laughs> you mean how to learn how to do it yeah it's Kabbalist nowadays I don't know if anybody has so there's very probably a few top Kabbalists that are, are aware of it but nowadays the Chafetz Chaim said that there's not going to be any more exorcism the last one was was, uh, was, uh, was many years ago and that was the last one and they said that it's not going to one of the reasons why it's not going to happen because we don't have people to, to, ex, to exercise how Christians Christians also and they also are able to exercise but it's from a different aspect of it it's from the impurity side of it which means is that the soul, um, you know, sometimes it, why, why it actually leaves the body is because the, all the Christian the things that they prayers that they do causes it more damage than, than good. Because whatever when, when it's when it possesses somebody else, it's doing it to basically avoid the suffering that it's going through. It's sort of like a safe haven. And what happens is when the Christians or whatever doesn't have to be Christian it can be idol worship. They come in there, it makes them worse off. 
So it actually chases them out as well. Not that it always works. I don't know, they put the silver bullets out of all the nonsense that they come up with. The, the Kabbalah, the Torah, that's the real stuff. Does that really work? No, it doesn't mean anything. What, you know, look at the Gemara where he is located now. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, you had, a, you asked. I answered your question. Okay. Nowadays, I wouldn't. You know, I, I would strongly. People love Kabbalah. People love Kabbalah, but people also don't realize what Kabbalah is. They think Kabbalah is. They think that it's Jewish mysticism. It is Jewish mysticism, but but people realize, like for example, you learn about demons, you learn about this stuff. It's Kabbalistic. But real Kabbalah is you're learning about the creation and you're learning about how, you know, the, the, the Sfirot and you're learning about deep concepts of how each mitzvah works and that's, you know, w- the best thing is first get the basics. Yeah, but get the basics before you go to the, you know, before you skip to advanced class. What I give, if you ever realize, is that I give a lot of Kabbalistic concepts classes. Like I have a whole series on dreams. I have series. I have a class on demons. I have a class on the. I don't teach. You know. You know. I'm not on a level to it in any mean way or form. But I, I speak about Kabbalistic concepts, which is different than actually learning or teaching Kabbalah. Kabbalah itself is you have to you have to have a strong understanding of Judaism before you go into that. You have to strong. You have to know Gemara. You have to know Acha. You have to know the Chumah, the, the the oral law, the written law, and then you go into the Kabbalah. It'll make it. It'll plugs everything in much. Well, like, let's say if you're learning, right? You take out a Chumash. Depends on the order. You could go, you have to learn everything. Halacha is one of the most important things. You have to know what the whole point is to do, right? So some people go and they just read stories all day. They're not, they're not going to know all the halacha. They learn, they learn, uh, you know, chumash all day. You have to learn actually halacha. You have to know what you have to do. All those things are important, but at the end of the day, halakha is one of the most important things. It's a seder. In the morning, the Vedic Shabbat is not at the Shabbat. You learn halakha, Torah, commentary, and then Right, right. Uh, the, um, I know what you're talking about. Why was the Torah being written like a, like a story, like in the form, yeah. form of a story? Not really like a halak, halak, or like, you know. Thank you. The, the Torah is, because the whole Torah is inside. The whole Torah, the oral law, the written law, everything's inside the, 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 um, the written law. And it was, when it was first given, it was given, the oral, when God gave the Torah, God gave it written and oral at the same time. And and the way that it was, it was in fact oral law came before the written the written the actual written Torah only happened forty years after after the oral law was given. The oral law was given first. God basically told Moshe the whole Torah. The way that he told the whole Torah is what you have to do, all the halachot and everything else, everything that that's built up and uh, that builds builds up there. Afterwards, the Torah came, and the written Torah, and it was and it was all plugged in. But the oral Torah was the main part. And the oral law is all the halachot in there. It's just it's not. As right now, what we have, we have the Shulchan Aruch, we have Rabbi Yosef Karo and the Rambam. You know, what they started doing, which Rabbi Yosef Karo took a lot of the, you know, how he compiled the, the Shulchan Aruch, what they did was, is that it was, all the laws was inside there. So somebody who knew the whole book inside out, knew how to derive all the laws from that book. But since we became lower and lower generation, we couldn't figure it out. And we needed other books to start help us. So that's why we have Alakha books now. But back in the olden day, we read the Torah, and be like, yeah, hey, this is why we do this, this is why we do this, this is why we do this, because everything was known. And as you go down, if you realize there's more and more books, because we're going lower and lower down in generations, in the closeness that we are to God, and to understanding the Torah. Good? Yeah. Okay? Okay, next thing. Broken mirror. Right? Somebody said stepping on cracks. Stepping on cracks, I think it's OCD. I don't even think that it is anything, uh, um, it was like you break your mother's back, or something yeah, stupid yeah, like that. It's like, a, it's like a kid rhyme, or something like that. So, um, there's a, a broken mirror. Broken mirror, there, there's some people say it's bad luck. If you look into a broken mirror for seven years, what time is the hell? Wait, are we? Okay, we have to wrap it up. Right? It's anyway, no. Um, broken mirror for seven, bad luck for seven years. You ever hear that? 
So what, what is the reason that it happened? So number one is, is uh, before even mirrors existed, they used to do something called um, ket- ketoptromancy. It's a type of divination that they would base off the reflection. So they would look at your reflection. So let's say you look in the, in the water, because you could see a reflection. And later this turned to a crystal ball and the other mirrors. They look into your, your reflection. If your reflection is distorted, then it's not good. If it's not distorted, then it is good. So it came from that, from that aspect. And then what happened was, so I said, you know, it's bad luck if it, you know, if it's not the, somehow they put in. But then what happened was, uh, listen how, how it actually worked. Then what they used to do is they used to make, they made mirrors. Mirrors was, um, was made originally from silver backing. So it made, it was, it was silver and then it was glass and that's how it reflected off so you could see what you, what you're, you know, what you're looking at. Make the reflection. So what happened was, if, let's say you had a slave and the slave was wiping the mirror and it accidentally broke. Mirrors was very expensive because it made out of real silver. So the slaves now had to work off that. And how much they used to have to work, like seven years, in order to go and pay off this, this, uh, the loan back to their master because they broke the, the mirror. So it came from that, the seven years that they have to work for the mirror that's broken and the cap to mount tree of, uh, of, you know, divination from that. They put it all together. Afterwards, one grandmother decided, bad luck, seven years. And from that one, it stuck. It stuck. Right? And this way they put, granted, I, I would recommend not to look at a broken mirror because it's dangerous. You can cut, you can, there's other more important reasons than other, than, than that. Whistling. whistling inside, I've never heard, I've never seen a source for that. I know they say it calls on demons or something like that. I've never seen a source. I, I could be, I've never seen a source for that. The rabbi told me, the rabbi told me that um, the spurs that hide like in the corners of the room and everything, the inside, they they want the one thing that, that you have, which is your life. And he said, what is life? It's, it's your Air. breath, right? The breath of life. So every time you're releasing it for no reason, okay. they're stealing it from you. They're taking it. And it also, they take your parnasa through that as well. There is. I, if you could find the source, I'm very, if you could know. Can you know, can you ask where, he, if you would speak to him, I want to know where he saw it inside. I would like to look inside because I I know people to do that. I really would like to, uh, yeah. I have a source, Rabbi Chaim. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, not, huh? Chaim Hall, Chaim Hall, the Arizal student. Rabbi Chaim Vital. Vital. It was, it's, it talked about a story where a lady she was singing or like she was whistling or something or like she was right and then somehow like a vivuk came inside of her from that like from singing and then like she had come and yet like there is a story about that but I don't know if it was because of whistling I thought it was because of uh I don't remember. I remember a story about the Dibuk about Rukhain Vital, but I don't remember being because of whistling, but it's possible. Is the same thing as a Dibuk? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, same. The book is on each other's foot. Like, oh, you stepped yeah, on my yeah, foot. Step on your Never heard of that. Sitting on the corner. <laughs> that I have heard of, but I've yet to find the source for it. I'll tell you like this. You know, like a spilling of the salt is a big thing. Yeah. Spilling of the salt. So, um, you know where the original spilling of the salt was? If you ever realize that Da Vinci, uh, the, um, what is it? Da Vinci's painting, right? The Last Supper, the Christian painting that he painted. He put a Judah, which is one of his disciples, J.C.'s uh, disciples, spilled the salt. So, and this guy, this Judah... Uh, was the one who rattled out on, on J.C. So it always looks as a bad omen of the spilling of the salt. And the, what happened was the Christians also believe that there's a, uh, e- there's a good, there's a good angel, there's a bad angel on one side and the other side. I think the bad angel is on the, on the left shoulder. So the devil's on the left shoulder and the good angel's on that. So they take the salt and they throw it over the shoulder to basically knock off the, the angel, uh, the devil from their, from the thing. So that's where also the spilling of the salt came over. However, I spoke about this and I spoke about this in a, in a Gorski uh, place. And they actually showed me in a certain book that it's, that they have a sort of, some sort of source that spilling of the salt is not good also. Um, they showed me from sort of, uh, some sort of a, in a book written in the National Kodesh, which I, I looked at it and it was written recently, but I, he didn't put down the source of where he got it. I, okay, very nice. I can write it down also, but I want to know the source for it. So it's very popular possible that there is a source for a spilling of the salt, but I did, you know, it brings machloket, it brings uh, problems into the house. But then again, you know, you have like, like uh, Sicilians, 
what they would do is they would spill salt in the entrance of the house in order to ward off uh, the evil eye. But then again, the same Sicilians, they also gathered the whole family together, whoever's living in the house, they all urinate in the same bucket, and they pour the bucket of urine all around the house, also protect from the evil eye. So go figure. Um, you know, I don't know if I'll, I'll listen to that. You know? Garlic. Garlic just makes you smell bad, and you know. Uh, I've never uh, garlic. I've, ne- I've I have that book. The Seva Chasidim. I don't I don't remember seeing anything on that on garlic. Like a vampire type of creature. Oh yeah, no, but that's not talking about evil. I'm talking about evil eye for for an evil eye. Not that I know of. Evil. I know there's rabbis that speak about garlic that says all oh, doesn't makes you smell. Also the spitting part. Don't spit. There are people who do two, two, two. Why are you spitting? It's disgusting. It doesn't stop it. It's spitting. Why their shirt? Like, come on, shower. You know, don't, don't what, what's the spitting nonsense? It doesn't make a, the, 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 what? There's, there's actually a source I saw that if somebody goes over to a little child and he gives them a compliment, a baby, the mother would request that you spit in the child's face in order to, because that will prevent them from having, having an evil eye. Really? Yeah. A real source? No, this is talking about like non-Jewish, like uh, they actually do that. Wow. Uh, um, <laughs> opening umbrellas indoors. You ever heard of that? <laughs> opening umbrellas indoors. You know what? Opening umbrellas indoors. They say uh, rain on your wedding or something like that. <laughs> no, so that, that that there's no tuma there. So why would there be? A... <laughs> so so the the big problem with this is is that it started off in uh, it started off in as a as a uh, um, what happened was in Egypt they used to worship the sun, the god of the sun, the sun, where the sun is the god or whatever they. So what they used to do, it says, if you had an umbrella and you are walking outside and it was shady, you have to take off the umbrella because it's disrespect to the sun. And if you do it inside, so that's how it started coming into like that it's bad luck because it's, it's going against this god of the sun. And then what happened was is that when they started making umbrellas out of metal in the 18th century, so you opened it, it would open up, it would be like, you know, like poof and it will break things. So everybody would get really upset and it would cause an argument. So they called it also considered bad luck. But yet I haven't seen a source that you opened up an umbrella inside that is considered that it's good for bad luck. The next thing is walking under a ladder. Right? Walking under a ladder, you're not supposed to walk under the ladder because it's considered bad luck is what they say. I've looked in sources, couldn't find anything. I, but what you're doing is you might cause damage, harm to yourself, no? Yeah, well that would be, yeah. Don't, because of safety reasons, I would have, but not because of bad luck. It's because you don't want someone to fall down on you. It's not a, not a luck, but it's not. Yeah, you shouldn't do it because somebody could fall down. But I'm saying the source of bad luck is, let's say nobody's on top of it. Well, why can't you just walk under it? What's the problem? So, so the this. If it's a regular two standing ladder, that's very big. I mean, if it's something like if it's a danger, that's physical danger by all means. You should never walk anywhere that's danger. But if it's something that's steady, and it, you know, there's no and there's no issue in it. The the reason why the reason why they say ladder is because what happened was is that people used to get hung by uh, by uh, in the gallows. They would have to climb up the ladder. So what happened was and then they move the they move the ladder or they, whatever it is. So they people were nervous. What happened was because you fall. And then you get hung by your neck. But what happens is, your spirit keeps on falling to the ground. So they said, don't walk under the ladder, because that's where the spirit's hanging out. You know? uh, and then the other Christianity says it's uh, you know, three prongs, so it's trinity, and there are also reasons not to go into the trinity, or whatever other nonsense. But bottom line is, I haven't seen a real source for it. Last one I want to talk about is a horseshoe. I don't know if you've seen about this thing. The horseshoe, they put a horseshoe in the house. Right? This is, origin is also in Christianity. And the, I don't know, know how. The, you know how, this came with some guy by the name of Dust, uh, Dunstan. Dunstan would, um, you know, he was a blacksmith or whatever it's called, uh, not a blacksmith. Uh, yeah, he was a blacksmith, I think. He was a blacksmith. And he, the devil came to him because he needed a horseshoe.
because that's what the devil needs. And uh, he walks into his uh, his shop and says, I need a, I need a, I need a horseshoe. And Dunson saw that he was a devil, because Dunson is Dunson, and he knows that this guy's a devil. So he says, no problem. And he, and he hammers the horseshoe onto him, uh, onto the devil's feet, and it's very, very painful. And Dunson says, listen, he says, I'll take it out, but on one condition. When you ever see a horseshoe in somebody's, uh, you know, somebody's uh, house, don't bother them. And he said, fine, and he took out the, the horseshoe, right? This is what the Chachamim of the Christianity decided, that this makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah, sure. Not only that, they made him a saint. The Saint Dunstan. This is what, and this is what people worship. This is what people, this is what people, not only they worship, is that they try to get other people to worship them. You ever realize that? I have, I have people ask me all the time, like, you know, I have non-Jews that listen to the classes, so they come. I had, I had recently, one of the non-Jews come and says, do you believe in JCs, our Lord and Savior? So I said, nope. Do you? And, you know, so it's a very interesting conversation how it goes on. Usually I don't have time to waste for, you know, for, for that. But every once in a while, often, you know, it's entertaining a little bit. Um, to, you know, so, you know, but one of them is like, is like, uh, like I got a recent question. Who wrote the New Testament? So I'm like, do you know who wrote the New Testament? It wasn't JC. And it wasn't one person. It was a bunch of people that came together and decided to write one thing together. So you're going to people. People are coming to you. And they are trying to convince you to come to their religion. But they don't even know things about their own religion. And they, if you look at their own religion, it's nonsense. It's complete nonsense. Rubbish made from rubbish. Right? That, is, that makes absolutely no sense. And people say, yeah, sure, follow it. You know why they follow it? It's very easy. We've got to believe in one guy. You do whatever you do is fine. You can be a Hitler. But as long as you believe in JC as your Lord and Savior, you're good to go. Right? You can, yeah, holy, holy water, holy grail. Okay, well, any questions? Oh, the, the eye. You went over the eye already? The eye in the, in the hamsa, you mean? Not even in the hamsa. They have this little bead. Yeah, I don't know. I've never seen a source for that. But you were talking about evil eye also. You were saying that don't give a person an evil eye. What if you mean it in a good way? Like, give him a blessing. Give him a blessing. If you want to... You mean if you want to... No, but like you say, like, oh... Beautiful car, God bless you, you know? Yeah, that's good. That's not considered an evil eye. As long as you give it, you give him a compliment, give him a blessing right afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, what? The source, right. Moshe Abenu, the Peliot also brings it down. Yeah, Bava Mitzia, page 107b, if I'm not mistaken. Bava Mitzia, page 107b. Out of 100. Rav. Rav did this experiment. So... Somebody told me one time that I went to Kobolos or something like that. He had some kind of problem or something. So he said, like, use your urine and then, like, like put it, like, apply on the place where, like, you know, it hurts or it's, like, something like going on. Never heard of that. And uh, this guy's a capitalist? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't like to dismiss things because there are many things that I don't know, and I'm I, I'm aware of that. There's many Kabbalistic concepts, especially in the practical world. The practical Kabbalah, it's not relevant. It's not available as we have theoretical Kabbalah. It's very, very hidden, very secretive to this day, and we're not supposed to be using it. We're not supposed to be using practical Kabbalah. So I can't tell you right away of that that it, it, if it's not, but it doesn't make sense to me. I'll tell you like that. It doesn't make sense to me. Practical Kabbalah is actually doing. Kabbalah and using it to, as, as a practice. You're actually doing stuff with it. As opposed to theoretical Some Kabbalah. Some people do it. Yeah, and it's frowned upon. It's not good. You're not supposed to do it. What about the whole lead? The whole, that, I've seen one yeah. I went to one lady. They said all, like, all of Brooklyn praises her. Even one of my rabbis says you should go to her. She takes lead. Yeah, and to take away the evil eye. Yeah. So the, the idea with that also is that there's some rabbis that are against it because it's practical Kabbalah. It's Kabbalah Masit. And other people say, no, it's okay. I don't know. There are some people that, that say it's okay to go to those things. Depending on the woman, has to be righteous. It has to be a righteous woman, you know. Right? If, if you're going... 
Very righteous. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Yeah. No, it's only a. It's not. That's not an evil eye problem. It's only a problem that it's not. not it's not like. Uh, and that's only for women. Man doesn't. Because, for example, if you're if you're a, a man and you have an older sibling that's not married, you're not obligated to wait for him because you have an obligation to pull vu. You have an obligation to get married and have children. So you don't have to wait. A woman doesn't have an obligation to have children. So a woman doesn't have the obligation to have children, so she technically would say, listen, I'll wait for my sister to get married or my older brother to get married. If they feel that, if that's what the parents want, up to a certain age. But once, if the woman's ready, you know, in the high 20s, then it's time to move on and it's time to try to get married. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.